everyone, and welcome back to another edition of the TetraCast. This is RPG Sites' weekly podcast where we get the site staff together to talk about our favorite genre of video games. My name is Brian Vitali. With me today, I have Adam Vitali. Hello. Josh Torres. I'm a changed man. And James Galizio. Hey, folks. Yeah, no chow today. He's just out, uh, out busy with other things. So we're back to the actual Tetra in TetraCast tonight. Josh, why are you a changed man? I so so th- this week, admittedly, I didn't play many games. Like there was a few very few small little things here and there, nothing really worth mentioning. But I was like, you know, I'm kind of like in this weird state where like I don't, I really don't have any like big assignments right now, and there's not really any like immediate games like that. I'm like like you know really wanting to chew on. So I was like, there's like this weird little gap that I don't really get that often. I was like, what do I do? And so th- this season in, in anime shows, like, you know, for the first time in a while, Bleach is back with their adapting their final arc. And I'm like, I'm like, I used to be into Bleach so long ago. And I used to like read the manga. We all were. And, yeah. And like, I, I, like weekly at a certain point, I couldn't take it anymore. And I dropped it. But then like a few weeks ago, when I heard, like, I remember the Bleach is coming back. I was like, what if I just like, red bleach again and like and like do it all the way through and don't like you know drop it because like now it's all over and everything so i'm a changed man because i guess i'm a certified bleach expert now because i read the manga from beginning to end in five days i started on sunday night and i got done on thursday and i'm like what have i done? I like how this is the second week in a row we're talking about anime at the start of the podcast does do you got does gundam update on saturday mornings or sunday mornings Sunday mornings, yeah. Oh, um, so okay, that's tomorrow. Yeah, the second, yeah, the second episode is out there, and that was that's yeah, a, that's a pretty interesting. One. Yeah, that was pretty good too. But yeah, I just, I don't know. It's weird. Like now, I know like everything about Bleach, and like I'm like well equipped to like fully understand the new anime that's coming out. I'm like, I don't know if I like that. What have I done? I mean, I remember, I remember watching Bleach like on the. Uh, not, it wasn't even Toonami. It was just Adult Swim Midnight. We show Bleach at Midnight for some reason sort of thing. Uh, and I, I think I watched it up to the final, like where they decided to cancel the anime uh-huh. uh, or whatever. Uh, so like I could clear the cobwebs and get caught up pretty quick. I don't catch I don't stay up to date on a lot of anime, but Bleach is like one of them. Because like I said, we were all. I won't say all. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's, that's pretty. That's pretty absolute. But. It's hard to remember. It was one of the quote big three at one point. Hard to hard to imagine, but yeah, it was. Yeah, so that that's in pretty much my, uh, my week. Um, aside from that, like after I got done with it, I'm like, I guess since I'm still in this weird period, I should take this time to like try to like catch up on like big manga that I've missed over the years. And like, I only like reading manga that that's like completely done. So I guess like I'm starting to read um, uh, Demon Slayer Kimetsu no Yaiba right now because I've been following the anime adaptations for that and I enjoyed those. So I was like, why don't I just read it? It's done. So might as well just do it. And there I am. When does that anime start airing? The, the last arc? Well, the Bleach already started airing. Yeah, it's already like oh, it, it, it aired for the first episode. I think it comes out on Mondays, but I think it's like weird because like it's like on Disney Plus and or hulu in some territories i forgot how like the regional split for that is but it's like the big news with it like when it was announced was like it's at on disney plus but then hulu was like we also have it too but i don't know if that's just 
for some regions, so forth. I don't really know how that's divided mm-hmm. up. I mean, there's a lot of confusion. Like, I, as someone who's more of a casual anime watcher, like I'm still like confused about the Sony Funimation Crunchyroll who owns what where thing because like Funimation still has an app, but that's going to be sunsetted at some point, and blah, blah, blah. it's yeah, it's, it's confusing. It's a mess. Yeah, <laughs> so. it, 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 it's these things are rarely ever clean especially with all the mergers and stuff and well, like the licenses, where do they go? It's all poorly communicated, both to the consumer and sometimes on the back end as well for the publishers and licensors. So it's just, who knows? Who knows? Looking ahead at our uh, podcast outline for this week, uh, for kind of the second week in a row, this has been a bit of a, a little bit of a hodgepodge episode uh, lineup because we don't have like a clear single event or announcement. We kind of have news filtering in from multiple sources. We have some news that has been out in like Japanese official media for a while that we only recently got in English or is yet to come out in English. Uh, some things that are just like loose announcements from Twitter accounts, like for instance, we got some uh, footage about, I believe, focus on Celica from the Fire Emblem Japanese Twitter account, but not officially in a press release or an asset dump. And then in terms of games we've been playing, uh, early October has been a little bit light. There's been a few games that have released recently that we've been interested in. Like, for instance, I've mentioned on the podcast a few times, um, Lost Idolins. But uh, I saw Josh actually linked in one of our Discord channels how the developer of that game is still working on doing a lot of polish. So I'm probably holding off on that. We've got uh, Persona 5 PC ports next week. Uh, But we're going to start out with something that's not a heavy hitter, but it is kind of the newest, most relevant thing. And that is we got our second volume for the Xenoblade 3 expansion pass. So this is the uh, the first volume of the expansion pass. If I recall correctly, was mostly just items. Uh, so this yeah. is the first one that's and the really content costumes. Oh yeah, the extra costumes. Uh, I don't know about this you, but I like the swap. So here's a tease. Uh, I have been playing Cold Steel Four this week for no good reason. So I will talk about that later. But like in that game, it has a ton of like extra hairstyles that you unlock throughout the game, and then obviously in Xenoblade Three, even. With the first and second expansion pass volumes, you get a lot of cosmetics. I don't know about you, but in any game, I almost always just use the default costumes. I don't like slap on attachments in Tails games or change hair color or like I just not I'm just not into that. Um, I think Scarlet Nexus was the last time I really tried to do that, but even then, it felt like I wasn't being true to myself. Uh, yeah, I know this is a little off topic, but um, I actually don't mind like in older Tails games when like. I don't like the costumes that are like part of a set, like the school set or the samurai set or the swimsuit set. But like sometimes, and especially in older games, they had like almost like a unique costume that was pretty much just like an alternate character design. Just like here's an alternate costume for the character that's just like a different take on it. It's not a part of a set. It's not part of a gimmick. It's just a different costume. And some of those I don't mind. It's like um the like the, the military costumes for Xenoblade characters. It's the, it's not like it's not really part of a like set it was like it was it was uh plot relevant at one point and it did just give you the option if you want to like if you like that look you can go back to it like those i don't mind because they're like plot relevant there is some like some sort of sentiment and meaning to to it for like like you said like the swimsuit and samurai sets like that um those i don't really care about the, the you're just reminding me like of like certain like dlc costume sets that are like, so wildly like out of place like for example for uh fuga like those uh, costume DLC for the Fuga uh, children. It's just like, 
I get it why they do it, but at the same time, it feels so wildly out of place for that sort of game. And I, just, I need like, an I, example of what an out of place Fuga child costume is. They'd have like swimsuit DLC and like samurai DLC costumes. I, I think the, the, I think the Fuga DLC sets are literally the three common ones: swimsuit, yeah. school, and samurai. Yeah. Or warring states. Those are the three um, that you'll always find. But the thing is, in Fuga, like that, most of the gameplay when you're like on the tank, you don't. It's not you. You only see the costumes like when you're just walking around the tank. So it's like okay, yeah. So and it's like it just feels like weird because like that's like not really the tone of the game either. It's just like it's just like it's it's pretty grim and serious. And it's like and people are like, yeah, I'm just walking around the tank with this swimsuit and samurai outfit. It's like cool, nice. But yeah, it's just. But I'm I'm with you, but uh, definitely like most of the time that I usually just stick with default outfits. Xenoblade Three is kind of like a weird anomaly where it's like, where like if when you switch, like I don't really bother like putting them into like their default outfits if they go to like a new like class costume. I just leave them in their whatever class they swap to. I don't go out out of my way and take well, extra time. Well, I, I consider that almost the default in Xenoblade Three is okay. having it swap with class. So uh, in Xenoblade Three, a couple days ago, as of, as of the time of recording, released its Volume Two for its expansion pass. This is mostly focused on two things. It introduces the hero Eno, and their hero and ascension quests and then it introduces the land of challenge and challenge battles which obviously were uh, a major component of the expansion pass content in xenoblade chronicles 2 so i booted the game back up and i kind of i didn't i know when adam was playing through xenoblade 3 he's the one that did all of our or i won't say all a good chunk of all of our guides uh, up on the site for xenoblade 3 so adam was very exhaustive with the game i think uh your hour clock is at like 400 hours or something like that uh so i didn't quite do that so there was a few unique unique monsters that i didn't fight um there was a couple classes that i didn't unlock so when i first booted up xenoblade 3 i I spent a few hours just kind of like reacclimating like even though it wasn't that long ago it's like all right what was i in the middle of what did i leave undone all right now let's look at this expansion stuff so i don't know i know we're talking about this first but i don't know how we're going to get a lot of mileage out of this because this is basically a simple mechanic that is tied to the new hero Eno, who Eno, unfortunately I wanted to like her or them they are a, they're a mechanoid uh, female human and it's kind of like we have Poppy at home sort of thing <laughs> from Xenoblade 2 uh, with, with, this, with this twist that they are very like they have like no pawn mannerisms she says meh 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 and things like that which oh I think my is gosh. Like, uh, <laughs> that's a, that's and, and the voice the voice actress, at least in English, is kind of like it's it's I don't like it, but I don't think it's because it's a bad recording job. It's just I, because I, that's it's the like, one thing I've heard about this. This I don't know anything about like her, like what what happens in that character quest. The only thing I know about, you know, is if people are very divisive over her English voice. That's it. I don't know anything it's, else. I, I don't like it, but I think it's almost by design because she's kind of like shrill and high pitched. She obviously has like annoying no pawn crappy English mannerisms. Uh, it was a press of fresh air to get like Riku. I know like Riku's voice in, or I, I don't think I know. I think, I think I know that Riku's voice in English is very like deep and not typical of what they've been using for no pawn characters, but they, they kind of went different with Riku. And I think the results actually pretty interesting and good. Uh, yeah. But Eno is kind of uh, in terms of her voice, but I think it's kind of just because she's supposed to be a little bit like, even in the, um, in the cutscenes that introduce her character, uh, Noah is like visibly cringing uh, at at certain aspects of it. So it's kind of like by design. Uh, I will say that it, it feels a bit. So I'm doing this on a 
end game file, which is obviously how I feel that most people are going to experience this for a while, unless they're going to revisit Xenoblade 3 later or don't get to the series until later and then buy it with the expansion pass. Uh, so in the in the chapter three area of Fornus, you basically you accept the quest as almost like an item from the expansion pass menu. So I assume early on in the game, you can get this quest in your quest log and it just points you to an area of uh, the Fornus region in the desert. You go there and you find Eno basically defending a traveling Nopon caravan who it's not the first Nopon caravan that you've seen. That, that's pretty much her hero quest is that she introduces herself to you and basically says like, oh, I'm looking for these ether cylinder, only they're not normal ether cylinder, they're HD ether cylinder pluses. They're, they're not, they're, 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 they're extra, extra special, extra fancy. And the game goes on a pretty long and almost like overwrought uh, exposition about how she likes to drink this ether cylinder and how that's wow that's strange and weird but i guess it powers her up so it introduces this eno swap mechanic where instead of having your normal ether channels you have ether spheres and this is a lot of jargon i know so in in the xenoblade 3 base game there are ether channels dotted all throughout the map and after a while they almost become like you you are you get way more ether cylinders than you have need to spend them you use them to like re revitalize like the the Ferranus Hulk. So you use them in a few quests, but there there becomes a point where you just stop paying attention to them because you get so many. Well, yeah. instead of like recalibrating that resource, they just add another one that is very similar but different. Instead of being a green energy called like ether, it's uh, a yellow energy called ether spheres. So instead of having your normal ether channel on a map, you have a little sphere on a map and it's guarded by enemies. It's kind of like a, a drop zone, like a supply drop. So you see this on your map, you kill like two to four enemies around it, then you can access the um, the ether sphere. You fill out a different gauge, so it's a different um, resource than the normal ether cylinders. And then you use these basically just in a menu to power up Eno's skills and abilities. It it really isn't more than that. It's just re obtain resource from locations on map, dump into a menu uh, within Eno's character screen. Very kind of similar to the uh, the interlink mechanic on the uh, Ouroboros forums, where as soon as you get enough points, or in this case, ether cylinders, you dump it and you get just passive boost to our abilities. So it's not as interesting as I think it could have been. Um, it, doesn't, it didn't take that long to just top it out. I just kind of randomly went went from location to location throughout the map to do it uh for, for on a gameplay perspective i'm not a xenoblade expert i haven't done like super theory crafting what is optimal build is this going to be uh something that ends up being you know meta in the end game or whatever but she is a defender class which i think is smart because i think they had the little the smallest number of options in the base game uh kind of a very damage dealing evasive defender class so kind of similar to ashira only with bonuses for like if she gets KO'd, some of her abilities get stronger if she gets revived. So it's almost supposed to be like she's a glass cannon defender, so which is kind of interesting. Uh, you, you get it uh, unlocked with Noah as the uh, inheritor of it. And basically, as soon as I unlocked the class, I immediately dumped no pawn coins into Noah's <laughs> class to get it to rank 10 to unlock the Ascension quest. Uh, and then the Ascension quest is a little bit more interesting, It's but it's no pawn focused. So it's kind of has high, high amount of levity, kind of irreverent. There's no like, this is a very silly side story, which Xenoblade gets to several times. So it's not like 
incongruent in that sense, but it's not it's not something that is like meaningful or uh, ends up being like paying dividends and like, oh, this explains this one aspect of the story that was left surface level or wow, I finally got insight into this mysterious thing. It, no, it kind of feels like a, a very whimsical little story. Uh, so it's it does yeah, I heard I kind of enjoy of yeah, I heard the spirit of it is more like akin to like a Xenoblade to like uh, what, what were they called? Like the those character quests. I forgot exactly what they were called, but it Blade Quest. Yeah, the Blade Quest are more in the spirit of that. Yeah, it actually kind of is, and they actually use terms like "I am a blade" and "You are my driver," and Noah's like a driver. That's <laughs> what is that? Oh. So it, it does play. <laughs> okay. a, it, it it does uh, it does pay a little bit of uh, kind of you know nostalgic homage to uh, Xenoblade Two players, even though. Uh, beyond a surface level it doesn't like function any differently than a normal hero it's not like it's tied to noah or whoever like it doesn't actually have a new driver blade mechanic it's just kind of for the flavor of it um and that's pretty much all there is to say on uh the eno stuff itself you can get it done in like an hour if you use enough okay. coins to boost your your level it's there is a little bit of a section where you get like a side quest where you have to dump resources to a, to a character to power up the ether cylinders. Uh, but since I was at end game, I already had all the items I needed. So I just pressed a on the menu a few times and it's like, Oh, now you've got ether cylinder volume five and it'll, it'll collect the most amount of uh, energy from the, from the energy sources. So it ended up being kind of like very, very quick and very easy. Um, maybe it'll feel a little bit more meaningful if you're, progressing throughout the game and you're upgrading your cylinders as you go through as you are able to gather the resources but if you're playing on like an end game or near end game file it ends up just being kind of a almost like a tax that you pay like oh give us enough of these consumable items that you have plenty of probably and there you completed the side quest as for the uh land of challenge if you played it in xenoblade 2 it's very very similar to how it is uh there you got a list of like a dozen or so different challenges and uh, some of them are start out like very basic. Some of them are like, oh, here, here you get to fight Silvercoat Ethel and uh, Kamaravi at the same time. Uh, here you get to fight like the level 100 monsters all in a, you know, in a boss rush sort of thing. Uh, here's a few other different like uh, things where you're, you're not allowed to interlink in this one or uh, in this one, your crafts, your, your arts recharge uh, twice as fast or things like that. The... For on a gameplay mechanic, there are a few things that the Land of Challenge kind of uh, offers that is kind of useful. Kind of, a, it's kind of quality of life, though. I, I hesitate to say that because it's behind paid DLC. Um, you just like in Xenoblade Two, as you complete these challenges, the main currency is Nupon Stone. Uh, you can exchange this. One of the things you can exchange it for is class unlock. So instead of having to like, remember if you go to the class screen and if you haven't unlocked a class, it'll show like a, a silhouette. That hit, that oh, it like yeah, fills up you, bottom you, to top. You gotta like build up and you gotta like, to unlock it. Yeah, and you kind of have to, and it's tied to your CP gain, and you kind of have to uh, have multiple characters playing a new class and gain CP to have other characters unlock that class. Well, now if you wanted to, you don't have to do that at all. You can just dump no pun stones into it. Uh, so you can just do some challenge battles, do them on auto battle or whatever, just build up this resource and then just unlock them all at once. So it's kind of nice that they give you another option there, though it doesn't feel like rewarding. Uh, you can dump Nupon stones into getting gold and silver Nupon coins. So I think that's the first time there's a truly like reliable, replenishable source of those. If you want to use gold coins to like unlock the gem crafting bit, 
Uh, instead of having to grind items, you can do that. Even though it seems like it's pretty damn expensive, you'll be doing a lot of challenge battles to do it that way. But hey, it's an option. When you do the challenge battles, there's easy, medium, hard, but you can unlock everything on easy if you wanted to. It just, you know, just gather resources a bit slower. However, back to the initial discussion of this podcast, there's like 15 or so challenge battles and like the first six unlock swimsuit and then the second six unlock different swimsuits and i'm just oh. like <laughs> I, I like i i don't have any so swimsuits i'm like all right i get it that's very very common i wasn't surprised obviously they marketed it that it would have swimsuits um yeah. so this wasn't a surprise at all like all right i'll unlock these swimsuits but it also just kind of feels like an opportunity cost like okay you give me like 15 challenge battles and 80 percent of them give you swimsuits it just feels like it's not, it's not quite 80%. I don't remember the exact numbers, but there's there's like 12 different swimsuits because it's a six main cast times two variants each. And I'm just like, it just feels kind of like, couldn't you do swimsuits and then another type of costume? Like I know Adam said he doesn't like themed costumes, but at least not just another set of swimsuits or another for color. The sec- to be the honest, second set, are they just like recolors of the same design or are they actually like different designs altogether of the swimsuits? I'll be honest. I haven't checked just because I honestly like don't care. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I just yeah. unlocked them just to unlock them, and then I didn't even go into the menu to like check them out. Uh, maybe that's bad of me to report on it, but I, I just, no. I guess I looked at the uh, reporting with swimsuits, and I was like, uh. you do on some of the harder challenges get some really good accessories. Like one of which is uh, like they're basically higher tiers of accessories that already exist in the game. Like one of them is deals 80% more damage to monsters higher level than you and things like that. I think there was already a 50 or 60% in the game. So obviously for all like the end game bosses that are like level 110, 120, if you want to like do those on challenge mode on hard, having your people kitted out with abilities like that would be good. Um, then you can also uh, exchange the Nopon stones for another set of uh accessories that are again like a tear up from everything in the game i don't remember the exact percentages you for those that really get into like the theory crafting like one of the accessories that you can exchange up on stones for is increases uh attack by 40 percent, i believe and I, what i believe the last the previous highest was 32 percent uh i think there's one that says like increases attack by 40 percent when attacking from the front rear or behind um so for those that really like the min max and be, have as easy of a time as possible uh there's a lot of just basically it's it's almost like a tear up on all the accessories there's newer better versions of all of those uh i think there were some that had a few like interesting actual mechanics that weren't just passive numbers but honestly most of them are just here's the same accessory only the percentage is higher now which i think is a little bit of a a missed uh, missed opportunity there they also added uh highly requested features that are not like uh behind paid dlc with the um like because they got because the game got patched as well with the new update and like one of the like weirdly enough one of the new features in this uh patch was people now have like a death cry when they fall from too far um Mm -hmm. so like when they fall off a cliff they'll actually like yell or say something as they're like falling to their death because that wasn't there before yeah so that's i don't know (laughs) a weird thing to add i guess now (laughs) i don't know if this is in paid dlc i don't think it is but uh now you can save class art skill loadouts that's good. Yeah, that's which, actually a which, big quality of life. Yeah, which is uh, very good. And it ties well to the challenge DLC, because if you want to have a specific loadout for, for instance, that accessory I talked about, if you're fighting something that's higher level than you, you're probably going to want those accessories. But if not, you won't. So you can get those into two different loadouts rather than having to uh, you know, manage those, micromanage those. Um, I will say that as another like aside, for as I was going through this challenge stuff, I've beaten like most of them on easy, uh, like 60% of them on normal, and some of the easiest ones I've beaten on hard. Um, 
but there there's some where it's like for this challenge everyone in your party must be soul hackers which is kind of like the blue mage class that i kind of ignored from the base game so i didn't like have any soul hacker stuff unlocked or anything like that and i'm like oh god why so i've been spending a couple hours literally just uh consulting adam's rpgsite.net unique monster guide to just find where all the unique uh monsters are and see if i could power up my soul hackers because i tried even doing that challenge on easiest but my soul hackers everyone was like level one uh i didn't have like any of the abilities or skills i'm like all right i guess if i want to do this and get this accessory that you get for beating that challenge i'm gonna have to like put some time into this which is kind of fun it's, it's good to have an excuse to mess with a part of the game that I just ignored before with the whole soul hacker class. So I actually, I, I kind of whine about it, you know, half-heartedly there, but why would they make you do this? But I actually do kind of appreciate that they uh, have something built into the challenge mode that incentivizes you to use the soul hacker class and uh, figure out how it works. And maybe I'll put uh, a, a soul hackers only loadout into my new loadout capability menu there. But other than that, that's really all that kind of came out of the second DLC. If you, um, if unless you spend time powering up your soul hackers or things like that to actually go through all the stuff probably just takes a couple of hours if you want to like get s ranks on all the challenges that'll take you a little bit longer there was a tease and then i think a leak of what the volume three hero is going to be i think it's just the artwork so i don't know how much you can glean from that but that's out there if you're interested in that um i don't know if we have a date on that i'm not, I'm not too sure either I might, yeah but i don't know i mean it's it, these sorts of like you know incremental updates like like I like I mentioned before, it's just not none of them are the substantial enough to really interest me. Like uh, like like I said, like I probably won't touch this game again till like the story expansion, because uh, because th those are the things that interest me. Like, uh, it's just I never was big into like into the challenge missions or the even the extra content that uh, Xenoblade Two added over time. Like I just I I didn't touch that game again till like Torna came out. And like I had a blast. I, th I think I remember on the podcast I said the same thing, and then it turns out I didn't. All right, so I booted up the game. And I'm looking at the swimwear. It is just two different recolors. So basically, so basically, you, you get one one set of swimwear for every character, and then a recolor. And that's something for the fan of the challenge rewards. Yeah, I mean it's fine. It's just that I always just keep them in their default outfits. And I'd look at all these other outfits that I got. Like oh. Like, I didn't remember that I got this, like, tie on color two. I guess I got that for pre ordering the game or something. I don't remember. I guess I'll just keep reporting on Xenoblade when the next, uh, when volume three comes out, even though I don't anticipate that it'll be any more substantial than, than this one. But, uh, but maybe, yeah, that one might be interesting because, like, one of the teaser images for that next one that they uh, showed off was like there was like, uh, at least two heroes out on the battlefield at once fighting together. Oh, right. I remember that. Yeah. Like that might be interesting if it's like not just if it's actually like kind of flips the battle system on its head in some sort of meaningful way. So we're going to go on to another game that James has been playing that he was really eager to talk about. And this is a game that's been on our radar, especially uh, Adams, because it is slated for an English release next year. And that is Nayuta no Kaseki. So if you've listened to this podcast a few times, you're probably kind of aware of what this is. And you might say, oh, that's a familiar title. When does that fit into the series? Uh, well, I'll hand it over to James to talk about here because uh, it released on uh, on Steam uh, about a year ago, but only with Japanese support officially. I hope I'm getting the details right. But So without further ado, I'll just hand it off to James, who 
Uh, I don't know if you tackled this in the last week for a particular reason or if you just found that you had bandwidth and decided to do it. Uh, but what has your been, experience been with with uh, Nayuta Nokoseki? Okay, so <laughs> I was intending to play Kuro 2 first, but uh, I was on a road trip uh, with uh, my family uh, last week. Um, like six-hour drive each way with uh, not much uh, cell reception. So I was like, well, I'm not the one driving. I need something to do. And so I was like, well... Let's see how Nayuta runs on Steam Deck because I bought it when it came out on launch on uh, Steam in J- in Japanese. I think it had a launch discount. I'm not sure, uh, and it worked perfectly. So I was like, "Well, I don't know when I'll have a better chance to play this." And I could wait for the English release, but I, I-, I was kind of in the mood for something that was, for lack of a better word, it was like a more pick up and play game because I've been playing a ton of super long JRPGs recently. And I wanted something that was more like bite sized, if that makes sense. Uh, that makes sense. So yeah, I uh, played through uh, the entire base game. I started up on the after story. Um, I'm going to try and see if I can convince uh, Alex, if I can write something about this. Cause honestly, I feel like people are completely sleeping on this game. Like, it's a rad game. I, I played this like on the PSP years ago, and I, I honestly really enjoyed my time with it and like the original it, release of that. I would say it's probably in my top five Falcom games. It's guess, really yeah. good. Yeah, it's really good. Um, I know a lot of people said, oh, it's basically Y3. I wouldn't disagree with that assessment because it's definitely got a, a lot of Y DNA in it. Um, <clears throat> certainly more Y DNA than uh, Trails DNA, but uh, that's besides the point. Because uh, you do have uh, the whole, oh, you can uh, craft food and then it can heal you and also gives you XP. You've got a companion that fights alongside you that can deal magic while you have like melee attacks and whatnot. So it's like very obviously heavily Zwei inspired to the point where I can understand why people say, oh, this is Y3. Um, overall, though, I'd say it's more like a mix between like Zwei. Gurman of all things, and the combat system of uh, the Napishtim Engine uh, East games. Because Nayuta's melee moveset, especially the further along you get into the game, has a lot to it. <laughs> and it's kind of surprising. Um, so, one other thing that I, that I didn't really know about the game heading in is that, so it's stage-based, which is fine, but um, the way stages work is that you can get up to three stars for them. Get one star for just finishing a stage, two stars for finding every uh, crystal and the treasure chest in the stage, and then there's also a challenge that each stage has. So it could be take, le- take less than 10 hits of damage, or fall less than three times, or don't run out of your uh, gear craft gauge stuff like that and uh you have these little like um stamp cards where for every star you get you eventually like every six stars you can go to uh, Nayuta's like um teacher his like a uh, sword teacher and he'll either give you like um a new skill to learn or a piece of equipment or buff one of your abilities in some way and uh, there's a really nice like gameplay loop to it, like how you're going into each stage and you're like doing these challenges, getting these stars, getting new abilities. And all the while, like while in each stage, enemies will drop uh, ingredients you can use to make food. Sometimes they'll drop um, stuff that you can donate to a museum, which funnily enough, this game has a, an Animal Crossing style museum. 
yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so it's like in stages, like you'll find these breakable pieces of the environment that can just drop things, like insects. Uh, like maybe in a, in a water area, there's coral you can break that will drop, like fish. Or you'll find like some fossils, and if you break them up, or amber, you break them up, you'll get like fossils, and then so on and so forth. And you can donate these to the museum to get Mira, which is obviously the uh, currency, to uh, buy either new equipment, ingredients to cook, so on and so forth. And everything you donate is actually showcased, and you can like even read a little bit about <laughs> the animal or the. Uh, the uh, fossil or like artifact or whatever you've donated. Like it's just straight up an animal crossing museum. And, and, to, and to be clear to people, like I uh, don't know much about Nayuta Nikiseki. This is like, uh, you do not need to play any of the trails games to understand this. It's completely standalone separate from. Oh yeah. Oh games. yeah. Uh, I would go as far as to say is even if you're not a fan of trails, I would still recommend trying Nayuta because it is like, it's very completely different. different. Yeah. It's yeah. a completely different beast. Like you can tell that the only reason that they have trails in the title is because of marketing purposes. Because like, yeah, I was, I I was going to ask. Like, they, obviously, it has the same naming scheme. Does it borrow like any lore or mythos from the trail series at all, or like literally nothing? Nothing. You don't even have any of the huh. classic um, like uh, trails uh, enemies or anything in there. It's very much a um, like I said. The closest comparison is Zwei meets Grimmin because these stages have like platforming to them. Uh, as you're going through the game, you unlock these abilities called gear crafts. Uh, one of them lets you uh, uh, send out a strong attack that will break uh, breakable walls or pillars. So kind of like that ability in East 9 that you eventually get. Uh, you get the ability to make a barrier that lets you walk on top of water or lava. Uh, you get the ability to, and this is really fun, which basically turns Noi, your uh, fairy companion, into like two giant gears and you just roll around that way through a stage and it's a lot of fun. And if there's walls that have grooves on them, you can just ride up the walls that way. Or if there's tracks that are like a yellowish-orange glow, you can't walk on them, but if you use your gear, gra- um, gear craft to like ride over them with the, um, with the wheel, you can just ride across them and get across gaps that way. And there's a lot of like interesting ways that the game uses these abilities and puzzle solving. And it's like, I was really pleasantly surprised at how good the level design was and how well paced everything is. Mm-hmm. Like um, the boss fights are fantastic. Like I was talking with a buddy of mine and he said that he hadn't finished all of the Yuta. He played like halfway through on the fan translation before realizing that was a mistake. Um, I'd say this probably has better boss fights than most party style East games. <laughs> like maybe even all of them. Cause they all, yeah, I, I mean, I probably, I, I could see that I'd have to like replay it again, but I'd probably agree on a replay. Yeah. It's like just, I don't really have anything bad to say. Even the story, which isn't really the main focus has its moments. And there's some interesting, like, little things that happen near the end. And it's like, it's, it's simple, but effective. It doesn't like really, you don't have to like, try to connect all the lore bits from like a baggage that the, that the trail series has. It's like, it's a very, just a, it's a nice, simple, effective story. And I, I appreciate that. Yeah. It's very it's focused. self-contained. Thank God. Yeah. But, uh... It's neat. It's neat. I think, I think the only, the only thread it has with the like trails is like, it has the Mishi, the mascot in it. I yeah. Think. That's it. Yeah. But even Mishi, Mishi in, uh, shows up in East games. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, 
yeah. least yeah. the recent ones. The Falcom thing. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I definitely would recommend this. And especially for, for folks like looking forward to this, or maybe that had heard about it, but weren't looking forward to it. I would say that um, this definitely has a solid chance of definitely, I'd say like being in the top 10 the year it comes out. But it's like, for me, it's like, I, I wouldn't give it a 10, but I definitely give it a nine. And it's like, it's just, I, I I was surprised. It's really I'm, really I'm happy this to be like widely available next year to me on PlayStation, Switch, and PC next year for English uh, yeah. worldwide fans. Oh, yeah, so, and, and it's like it's like not technically demanding. So I imagine there will be like no like weird. I imagine no weird things happening in behind the scenes for when it uh, in its distribution. Yeah, I will say that um, I did play it on Steam Deck. I think I briefly said said as much when I first started talking about it. But yeah, I uh, played the entire thing on Steam Deck. Uh, got really good battery life too, like five and a half to six hours and like no frame drops with uh, there's not really much to change. It's just there's like an HD texture pack you ins- you can install, which doesn't really uh, impact performance much on Steam Deck. And then there's um, it's just a just standard firmware uh, that the Steam Deck has. No, nothing you don't have to like, worked get out of the box. Even okay. the uh, videos worked without any issues whatsoever. Cool. So nice. I'd say so. Yeah, like um, I mean, I'm not shocked. Because it's a Durante port, and Durante is very much a big fan of the Steam Deck. So, especially going forward, he's def he's going to make sure at least his ports work on it. But uh, yeah, if but then again, I with how like demanding the Yuta is, I wouldn't be shocked if it's like just as good on Switch. So it's like it, but we'll we'll see, we'll see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, I'm sure you know they're gonna. Do do their best to make sure that, that like this gets like an outstanding out of the box experience next year. Yeah. So I was trying to follow up with Adam because he is a computer brain when it comes to this stuff. Because um, Neyuta no Kaseki was kind of almost a footnote with that big combo announcement of when we learned that we were getting zero and Azure, which which leaked beforehand. Remember on the was it on the Epic Store? How did that leak again? I don't remember. Uh, that we learned that we were going to get zero. We, I know it all leaked like a day before the official announcement or so, but we learned we were going to get official announcements of zero and Azure, and we got the, the official yeah, name. It leaked on the English Epic name. Game Store, just the store pages went up for all of them. Yeah, we learned that Hajimari no Kaseki in English was when we called Trails uh, into Reverie. Into Reverie? I don't remember yeah. what the middle word is. But then also, uh, Neuta no Kaseki ended up becoming uh, Boundless Trails in English. And it was kind of a footnote there, and I was trying to remind myself, when's this coming out? It's currently just slated for Worldwide 2023, so we, we don't have uh, a, anything more detailed than that. But yeah, it'll be it's officially in English. A, yeah, it is actually the sleeper like hit like next year because people are going to be focused on Azure and Reverie for a good reason, you know. Obviously, like th- those mm-hmm. are excellent games too. But you know, I I think people should also be really looking at uh, Nayuta as well, and I'm glad that you know James. Uh, went back and replayed it because it is, it is a legitimately like fantastic game like and i hope more people got, get to play it and try it and like the, like they don't skip over it like people really have to like communicate and like say it again and again this is not like related at all to the current trails series you don't need to go play the other ones to like um understand it or anything it's completely standalone and separate like i think that's one of those things like points that they have to re- reiterate again and again and again to people because it's definitely far away from that so keeping on the uh, pretty much on the same tact, I basically in the last week got my uh, 
Steam Deck first. I think I got it two weeks ago, but I first now turned it on and got it all set up. I downloaded some custom like Proton. Uh, I don't know if firmware is the right name because I heard that, that was useful. I messed with some settings. And then I was trying to decide, what do I play first on this? Kind of just looking at what was in my uh, Steam library that I hadn't played yet. Something that I've been mentioning that I've wanted to get to for a while. I decided that the first game I was going to play on my Steam Deck was Trails uh, Cold Steel 4. So obviously a game that we have talked about in a bunch of different kind of interesting contexts on this podcast. But one game that well, as we go into next year and I want to make sure that I'm quote unquote caught up for Trails into Reverie. Something that I've been basically putting on the back burner for a while and uh, wanted to finally get to. So I'm about uh, I'm about like 16 hours into it. I think I just got into Act 2 or I'm right at the end of Act 1. Um, I First of all, my Steam Deck experience has been really good. I have been just using it mostly out of the box uh, without any issues. The only thing that I have is that sometimes when I close the game, it, it freezes. Never on startup. The videos play. The game plays fine. Just on closing, it seems to have a hitching problem, uh, which doesn't really matter because I was closing the game anyways. It's been really handy just to be able to go from my PC, go to the Steam Cloud, uh, and go onto the, the Steam Deck and play it in bed or on the couch. Uh, Future. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, now that we're living in a world where Switch has been around for five years, it, it doesn't seem like that novel anymore, but it is just neat that these games that I purchased a long time ago on Steam, I can just have that option now. Uh, as a footnote, I did recently just get my official Steam Deck dock but I'm having a few issues getting with that to output correctly. But I'm once I look forward into that, um, or look into troubleshooting that, being able to play on my PC uh, in my office upstairs, and then take it into bed. And then if I have someone over and I want to make sure that I'm not hiding in my office, I can take it to the TV downstairs and play it there. I don't know. It's like living in the future. Yeah, um, you have a system going on. You're 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 already like just Im- imagining it. You're like, once this is all set up, this is my system. This is how life well, like, will work here on out i know it sounds a bit silly but i bought those the steam link that got discontinued several oh, yeah. years ago mm-hmm. at this point but it never quite worked well and the steam link mm. app on my phone never quite worked well which is surprising and this is going to sound like default stuff but like i have good internet don't have any issues anywhere else with the steam link as good of work as valve does with proton and steam uh steam os and things like that uh it has never the remote play has never been for whatever for whatever reason whether it's my configuration or the or the games I'm trying with it the remote play has never really worked very well so to be able to have it installed on my Steam Deck and my PC and play it either place and then dock it into my P, uh, TV is I'm looking forward to having that all worked out as for the game itself I'm kind of I'm far enough that I feel like I have plenty to say but I'm not far enough that I want to like pass judgment or have an, a final opinion uh, first of all. Back when Cold Steel 3 came out in English, I remember that being the point where it was heavily suggested amongst the fan base that for those that had started with the Cold Steel games and Cold Steel 3, that really is where it becomes difficult to parse exactly what's happening if you don't have background knowledge of what happened in the Crossbell games or the uh, or the Trails trilogy, uh, the Trails in the Sky trilogy. But I pushed through Cold Steel 3 anyways, and I managed, and then when the... Uh, Geofront translations came out. I played Zero and Azure that way. Going into Cold Steel 4, at that point, unless you are just, uh, you wanted, you're okay with just reading plot synopsises or, uh, or character bios on, on wikis and things like that, like Cold Steel 4 starts out with tons of references and characters and locations from a lot uh, from the Crossbell games, but also from earlier than that. So at that point, that's where it like becomes 
basically the opposite of Neotikonokiseki. It seems like uh, that's where everything is starting to converge, which makes sense because it's the end of that major arc, uh, at least by design. I don't know exactly how Hajimari ties into that. So we'll learn that as I go. Hopefully I'm not saying anything that those that do know what go- is going on is uh, kind of sitting there like, oh, wait till you get to Hajimari and you learn that this happens or this happens. Obviously, Hajimari features both Lloyd and Reen as playable protagonists. So I'm sure it does have a lot of that crossover as well. Uh, I remember when James was first covering Cold Steel 4, he said that, and uh, correct me if, if I'm misinterpreting what you said back then, but you really enjoyed the first act where the focus is on basically new class new seven, class seven. That, yeah. main, that, that main cast of characters trying to like rebound from the climactic events of the third game, which ends on a major cliffhanger. Uh, and I think I agree in retrospect mainly because and i know he's very popular but i just don't care for reen at all i don't hate him but i just think he is very bland and i just his personality type just doesn't suit me for like what i'm looking for on a protagonist so the fact that he uh i'm trying to be careful i'm going to try to speak in very general terms i'm obviously we'll timestamp this is cold still four i'm not going to talk about specific story events but obviously, I have to talk about like the premise of the game being the fourth in a series. If you haven't played one through three, uh, I will talk about those in very high level. But Reen is off screen um, for the first 15 hours of this game or so due to what happens at the end of Cold Steel 3. It's mostly you start with Juna, Kurt, and Altina. And you're, the first part of Act 1 is catching up with Ash and the role that he played at the end of Cold Steel 3. And then after that, you catch up with Muse and the role that she played at the end of Cold Steel 3. So a lot of the starting of Cold Steel 4 is just kind of getting your bearings back, has this kind of excuse to like re-catch up with not only the primary characters, but the other the other schoolmates of New Class 7, which unfortunately, it's been long enough where I'm like, oh yeah, I, I vaguely remember this guy with creepy eyes that likes to eat strange food, Frankie or whatever. Um, oh, and this character was... Uh, uh, I remember that in uh, English, he has an Irish accent and likes trains, I believe, Pablo. Uh, so like these characters that I don't really have like a high like rapport with, but the game is like slowly one by one reintroducing me to those characters. So on a functional level, that worked pretty well. Um, on a gameplay front, it's kind of the, if you've played any of the other games, it it doesn't do a whole lot that's new. I think it has some, some different ways that the Master Quartz works, uh, especially with the Sub Quartz and things like that. Uh, I do like that it introduces you a lot to old class seven pretty early on. But as you go out into your excursions, you you, you can only pick from a selected limited number of them, which I think works pretty well rather than just saying, here's a cast of 15 characters, pick your favorite four. It says, here's a cast of eight, pick your favorite four. You can pick one of the old class seven or things like that. I will say though, that the story in the first part of cold steel four is quite meandering the main backdrop is that it's the onset of war between Erebonia and Calvard, and there, there's like a basically a draft that's been ex- uh, executed in Erebonia that people are basically being enlisted into the military and being sent off to war. And there's a few touches where it kind of comes into play as a backdrop, but it's considering the events of the End of Cold Steel Three, I don't really feel like a sense of urgency at the start. It feels very like. Oh wow! Everyone that we know, other than the people that we uh, that were on the ship at the end, like uh, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of gravity to it. It seems very one, kind of chipper and cheery. Go on. One thing I will give to Cold Steel Four uh, is that uh, when I did go through my review, I 
talked with basically everyone every time something happened, like NPCs and whatnot. Uh, in the main story, they don't do much about it. But one thing I will give Cold Steel for credit for it is that if you're talking with the NPCs as events go on, you can't actually see each NPC is going through their own little mini arc about how their family and themselves are reacting to the draft stuff. So, hmm, okay. Like, so I'll give the game credit for that. Like if you're if you're talking with the NPCs, you can actually feel a, a lot more of that gravity. Okay. And yeah, I'm not uh I'm I have like a middle ground. Like I'm not ignoring everyone, but I am not like I remember even when the original PSP games came out over here, people talked about how, wow, every sing- after every single story beat, everyone has something new to say. That's why there's so much dialogue. Remember those old images about the script that Xseed had to translate for second and third specifically? Uh, because the uh, the dialogue is so frequently updated in these games. So yeah, I have I have seen that in small bits, but I haven't been exhaustive about it. So maybe uh, as I go into Act 2, I'll, I'll put a higher focus on that. Uh, I guess the my main feeling right now as I progress into Act 2 is that despite not feeling the story of Cold Steel 4, and unfortunately my expectations are a little bit uh, kind of slanted based on everything I've read about the game, both in the context of the site here as well as elsewhere, but it does feel like comfort food, like just... The way that the game is structured, the combat flow, the way that the stories, uh, the exposition takes place, like I'm, I'm enjoying that, and I haven't had that since I played through the two Crossbell games, which I guess was only a year ago. So in that sense, I am enjoying myself. It just doesn't set itself apart so far for being like the final part of this arc. But again, I'm early in the game. I haven't really been reintroduced to to Reen yet, which I don't know if I'm looking forward to that. Hey, but, you know, you have many hours <laughs> left, uh, Brian. I salute you. <laughs> Well, yeah, uh, I, I looked at how long to beat, and they're like an average playthrough, 68 hours or whatever. And like, I know if you're being completionist, that doubles. So I'm like, all right, yeah, I'm I'm not even there yet. But, uh, but uh, yeah, I'm I interested to, to, to hear more about like your playthrough and like seeing it unfolded like in front of you, you know, like seeing, like, seeing is believing, you know, I, I'm not going yeah. to put words into your mouth or anything, but I, there's always, it's always interesting to see how people, uh, interpret the events that happen in cold steel four as it's like unfolding and seeing about like you know where, where the story goes i will say that um even in act one this is something that i've complained about so a few times and i i don't want to harp on it but it's always at the front of my mind when i'm playing these games is that especially in the cold steel series it seems like the falcom writers have a particular manner of how they address how needs how how to resolve a climactic situation where they love to go to the well of having an off-screen character come in to save the day, which is not in- inherently bad, but I just feel like it is unusually frequent in these games. So that when it happens, it doesn't land as well as it could. So early on in Act One, you you fight you find a group of the minor antagonists in the series, the Jaegers, uh, the group that um, Fee used to be with, and you fight them, and they're like they're it's kind of like an even match. They don't completely overpower you, but you're not going to beat them. And then you get saved by uh, let's see, it's Sarah, Elliot, and one of the other characters. They come in and say like, "Oh, we're going to help you guys. We're, we'll, we'll we'll bail you guys out." And then in Act uh, later in the Act, you fight with um, Cedric and their cohorts and the same sort of thing happens where it's like oh here's more people coming to save the day because that you weren't quite going to uh, to succeed on your own and then they kind of undermine that because that's a part of the game where uh muse is 
basically showing her true role in the story and the sorts of things that she's planned for, which I'll just keep it at that for now. And I feel like that situation could have been resolved with that alone. But on top of having Muse have the contingency planned out for, they also have the not so fast moment where your allies come in to save the day where they didn't really need to. So in that second instance, I felt like they were closer to doing something a little bit more novel and different with resolving the conflict. But didn't quite land it. So like I'm I'm gonna just keep an eye on that going forward because I'm I guess I'm obsessive by about we that. Should have, we should have we should someone should replay through the series and do like a not so fast count. There are probably, I, I think I, there's I, an I, Excel sheet that somewhere that, that cracks that. <laughs> if if I remember right, it's uh Cold Steel 2 is the worst part of it. Um <laughs> uh I, I remember at one point in Cold Steel, I believe it's two, where you're in the Nord Highlands, uh and it's just a random group of Jaegers on horseback or something, and you're kind of, you're not beating them. And then here's Gaius; he comes to save the day. And this is before Gaius gets his like more fancier titles later. But it's just like, oh, thank goodness Gaius was here because we needed that one like person to come on. Then it makes sense because you're you were in his homeland. So I'm not trying to poo poo on it so much. It's because it's not inherently bad. It's just that it happens often enough that it's no longer like, oh, thank God, I thought I was in trouble. You always kind of know that someone's going to bail you out. At some point, you're and like making it, like a drinking game out of it, right? Like you take a shot with this happens, you know? Well, you're, you're kind of like, it, when it comes to the point where it's like, oh, I'm fighting Jaegers. I wonder who's going to help me. Oh, look, it's Sarah. I suppose that makes sense. <laughs> you know, things like that. Um, when it becomes predictable like that, that's, I guess, my main issue. It's not bad. It's just come. It just ends up being predictable. But but I will to its credit when they uh, did it slightly differently with Muse and in, in the middle part of Act Two, uh, sorry Act One, it was uh, it was different enough from like oh they did you know this is something that it wasn't quite as predictable so so very good you know give them credit where it's due, uh, but yeah I will uh, I will play through that that'll be probably my primary primary game this week and I'll be playing it off and on on Steam Deck which has been working pretty well. Um, but basically I didn't want to wait till we had a date for Reverie and then be like all right we got a date for Reverie now I'm now I've got the homework of doing Cold Steel 4. So like just trying to, you know, have a gap Harder here, play be through a good it. student. Yeah, basically. Um and I am still enjoying the game. It's comfort food. I think I'm just kind of I just need a new uh the grass is greener. Uh so I don't know if Hajimari will be that, but you know, uh get it, get through, get through Cold Steel, you know, put a pin in it, call it done, uh, and then get to um hopefully greener pastures when we see Kuro in half a decade. <laughs> But yep, that's where I'm at on that. Uh, and we'll keep you guys apprised if uh, I guess to see what my honest uh, feedback is as I get into the later parts of the game. Oh, I'm looking to hearing more from you, whether it's on this podcast or, <laughs> or privately or, or otherwise. Mm -hmm. I think that mostly covers us for games we've been playing. Uh, except for one minor thing here, uh, and that is is that we talked about features that have been put up on the site uh, for different preview and demo opportunities that we've had in kind of the uh, late summer, early fall. And correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think we've talked about this in this context. One game that we've been frequently uh, discussing on this podcast because it's had a lot of different marketing info come out pretty rapidly is Wild Hearts. This is the Monster Hunter type game uh, from EA and Koei Tecmo. And I do know that we talked about this uh, several times, but I don't know specifically that we were able to talk about the fact that James was able to go hands-on with this game. Do I have this correct? Yeah, no, I think the embargo lifted. It was either Sunday or Monday 
No, it was Monday. It gotcha. was Monday. So yeah. So like so, yeah. a couple days after we recorded last week. So uh, I will hand it back off to James. We've talked about Wild Hearts and what we saw in the reveal trailer and then in the gameplay trailer where they showed the the King Boar Tusk or whatever his name was. Uh, but now we have a, a hands-on uh, impression that we're able to dive into here. And then not only hands-on impressions we'll talk about on the podcast, but uh, James was able to also write up his thoughts for his impressions up on the site, where he's titled his uh, his op-ed, Wild Hearts Fields Primed to Offer Monster Hunter Its First Real Competition. So James, I'll just give you the floor to kind of speak to your experience going hands-on with Wild Hearts. Uh, first off, uh, I, I I do think that was a good title for the uh, preview article, but definitely some people are like, well, God Eater and Token didn't exist. And it's like, yes, they existed, but they didn't compete. <laughs> yeah. I think people don't get what I'm trying to say there. <laughs> but uh, and, and obviously uh, the context of the article is inherently more interesting and meaningful than the title. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so EA reached out to us a few weeks, I think, before they officially announced the Wild Hearts, basically saying that they were they were going to be announcing something like this and that they would be interested in uh, having us uh, play a preview build of the game. Uh, so yeah, we had the chance to download a preview build uh, on PC and we played through the first couple of hours of the game pretty much. I uh, got to hunt three uh, kimono. Uh, I forget the name of the first one, but I know that the uh, the latter two are Sap Scourge and uh, King Tusk or something like that. Uh, so this is very much in the same vein as like Monster Hunter or Tokiden, because obviously this development team at Koei Tecmo has this isn't their first rodeo. They've done like the Tokiden series. They worked on Tokiden One, Kiwami, and Tokiden Two, which. Uh, Honestly, Tokiden 2 is kind of a sleeper hit. Not not enough people gave it a shot. Um, but um, yeah, this is in collaboration with EA. It's a lot more open. It's a next-gen exclusive, even though it's still like segmented in zones like uh, Monster Hunter World. It's like each of them is fairly big. Like the one zone I managed to hunt in, which uh, apparently there's like at least four zones and like each of them is representing a different season. This one was representing like spring pretty large pretty wide open <clears throat> one of the interesting things that uh, wild hearts does that's different from monster hunter is that you have the karakuri system or like the machinery crafting and stuff like that and the way it works is is that you use these threads and you can either like build things just in the environment like um in the middle of a hunt like you can maybe make a spring so if you walk into it, it'll automatically dash you forward like further than a regular dodge can or you can craft blocks which you can climb on top of and jump off of to deal like do aerial attacks or there's like um for the king task you learn this, the ability to make a barricade if you stack like six blocks like two um two columns of three right next to each other in short succession it'll morph into a barricade and if you do that while it's charging at you it'll basically get flinged backwards and you'll have a, a chance to really go ham on it. And uh, supposedly there's a lot of like, for some monsters, there's specific moments where if you use a specific Karakuri, you can kind of counter them and get a chance for an opening. So it's very much a situation where it's kind of like Monster Hunter meets Fortnite of all things, which sounds weird. I know it sounds weird, but it works in premise. And, and even outside of fights, you get the ability to make them um, like, watchtowers well there's these things called dragon karakuri which are like more permanent establishments that you can place in the world and like you can make a watchtower which like makes it so that you can kind of track where kimonos are you can make um 
these kind of zip lines where you can shoot them in almost any direction in the field. And then you can have a quick like shortcut from one area to a net to the next. Uh, you can make camps at springs whenever, whenever you find one, which allows for fast travel as well as, uh, you know, resting and whatnot. And, 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 a, and a, a number of other things like the weapons themselves are pretty interesting. You do have like the standard, well, you have a long sword and a great sword. I was going to uh, ask long- about those. Like, do you, uh, we, we were talking about this, sorry to interrupt you, but I just kind of want to make sure that we, we were talking about when we showed the gameplay trailer last week, how it looked, we weren't, we couldn't quite glean exactly how the weapon types were implemented. Uh, are they like completely separate ways that you upgrade or, uh, progress through them like in Monster Hunter, or is there a way where you can? It's like, like Monster Hunter. Shoot? Oh, okay. I guess that yeah. answer, makes that makes that answer pretty straightforward then. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I didn't have too much of a chance to play with all the weapon types. I did play with Longsword and uh, Greatsword. I think they have specifically different names in uh, Wild Hearts, but they're Longsword and Greatsword, so people know okay. what I mean. Yeah, because like it's one of those things that like uh, with the footage that they they showed off, like they they showed like them turning it to like different weapons, like in the middle of the fight and i wasn't sure like if that was like just like one-off skills that they were using uh and so forth so maybe maybe that's that's the case one ability that the uh i think there's like stances for the bow or something i didn't try the bow but apparently there's a lot of like uh uh, intricacies to it with the long sword instead of having like the monster hunter spirit slash combo once you because you build up a bar in this one too so it's kind of similar to monster in that regard but once you do you can start using it as kind of like a thorned, like segmented whip. Okay, yeah, then that 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 that's it then for sure. Yeah, interesting. So yeah, they they, so they can like, they can like transform to like different things. What do you like? Fill up like a prerequisite like bar or something. That's that's not every weapon. Like the great sword has a bar, but it's like just a way of showcasing like a charge. Mm-hmm. So and and it plays more like the hammer charge in Monster Hunter. Versus okay. like the great sword charge, huh. and there's like three levels to it: a regular like charge slash, like strong slash, a mid level one, and a then a max level charge, which has like a kind of like AOE like kind of uh, what's the ground type of effect and whatnot. But they're, uh, they're, yeah, they're taking the, yeah, they're, they are taking their own spin on the formula like in interesting ways. It's not just like copy and paste and that's done. It's like it's like it, it really feels like they're they're putting like a lot of like really creative, interesting ideas into the formula to make it feel distinct and different and fresh. Yeah, even the monsters themselves are interesting. Like, you look at them and you might think, oh, well, that's just like a boar, or oh, whatever the hell that, like, squirrel thing with, like, a nut on its tail is. One of the interesting things about the way kimonos work is that they are explicitly described as a force of nature, and when they get enraged, you actually see them change their appearance. And then you also see an effect that it has on the area surrounding them. Like the King Tusk, it's very much a cross between like a tree and a giant boar. And when it gets angry, it'll start like these like like tree roots will start going all around it in like a giant circle kind of AOE. And then within those tree roots, you, you can see like these stumps like pop up or you can see these jutted like uh, like giant tree roots that you have to uh posi- you have to like it's kind of like a wave aoe so you have to like one get like right up against it then once it falls down like mm-hmm. dodge in so you can um, see so a little so. bit of that at a high level on the um on the king tusk gameplay video yeah and it's really it's hard, it's hard to parse even, it completely but it's there 
Yeah, the interesting thing is that even down to like the designs, like you can break the King Tusk's tusks. And when you break it, you can see that, yeah, no, those tusks are just straight up trees. You like see they look like stumps when you uh, break a tusk and you can see like the tree rings and whatnot and uh, so on and so forth. Like I there's definitely some janky aspects of it, but I don't know how old the build was and it didn't really get in the way of anything. Like, I will say performance is not there yet. It does not look super, super hot, but it's an X-Gen exclusive. And obviously, optimization is the last thing that gets done. Um, I will say that the preview build that we played, EA outright said that the minimum they re- they uh, uh, recommended for the preview build was a 3060 Ti. Shit. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so obviously, optimization to be done. I did oh. load it up on Steam Deck to see if I could get it running. It was like at like 20 FPS minimum settings. So it's like, I, I'm confident that it will work on Steam Deck come launch because of optimization and whatnot. But more importantly, this game directly supports 16 by 10 resolutions. And you don't support 16 by 10 resolutions in this day and age unless explicitly you're trying to support Steam Deck. If yeah. my first computer monitor was 16 by 10, so I'm like, I feel like nostalgic. Like, oh, I remember these, uh, these pillar box or not pillar boxing, these letter boxing from playing 16 by nine games. So now when I was playing Cold Steel 4 on Steam Deck, it also is just 16 by nine. I'm like, ah, oh, I remember this. <laughs> Feels yeah. good. Feels great. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, that sounds really promising. And it's like, uh, like we've been saying, like just uh, the release date is, you know, just around the corner, just a few months, really can't wait to get my hands on it and try it out it sounds like a lot of fun yeah hopefully um, we can get multiple uh, copies so we yeah can, like, that'd be great like how we did it sunbreak yeah that was honestly the best like yeah, the most awesome. fun i had with a review uh in a long time mm-hmm. but yeah um wild hearts is uh shaping up to be really promising i'm excited to see what koei tecmo has uh left because like I'll say that like Token and Two, like the main problem it had was obviously down to budget. Like they just did not have the budget, the resources to deal with it. But something like this, where like EA's footing uh, much of the bill, and obviously it's a next gen exclusive. It's like, yeah, I think this has the chance to really be something special. And it seems like I'm far from the only one that feels that way because you look at the other previews, and most people are kind of saying the same things. This has like really got a lot of promise, and I'm. Mm. Excited to see how it uh, shakes out once the uh, full game releases in the February. Re- the release minimum requirements on, in a tweet of like minimum requirements uh, 4090 Ti. Let's go. Part of me wants to get back into like uh, Sunbreak because you mentioned that obviously very briefly here, but uh, I might just wait for Wild Hearts. I don't know. I don't have, I feel like I want to get back to Sunbreak out of obligation, but not out of genuine interest. But Wild Hearts I actually do because it is slightly a bit different. Uh, maybe just maybe just yeah, wait until we I'm need really... to. We need to start preparing. We need to get ready. We need to start playing Fortnite and then getting to that building mindset. Oh yeah, got to learn to craft shoot, and craft and fight at the same time. You shoot at one random ten year old. They gentrify the entire neighborhood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, watching Fortnite footage like that is like I don't. I have, these kids are too cracked these days. Mm-hmm. 
Going to the news front of this podcast, uh, like I kind of said at the header, it's a bit of a hodgepodge here and not a whole lot uh, in total. So this should be pretty brief. Uh, but a couple of this uh, is a little bit of not actual newses, but teases and hints of things that might come to be. Uh, because we spent a lot of the uh, early part of the podcast talking about, obviously, Falcom and the Kaseki series, I'll go into a few bits of news uh, on that front that we'll discuss here. So on an actual news front, the, the main headline from this week is that we had a, an update to Kuro no Kaseki 2 that basically adds like a new chapter to that game. Now, unlike James or Josh, I haven't been following Kuro as closely, so I don't know specifically the details of what the update includes that wasn't included in the base game. Though, however, you have a note here, Josh, saying that this confirms that there will be a third Kuro game due to the yeah, update. You were saying that after the second game, it seemed like it could have ended there. Well, there's been like interviews with Kondo, uh, you know, before the Kuro two came out, him saying like this is basically concluding the 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 arc, uh, like saying that like that they wanted to keep it, you know, just wrap it up in this game, and then all of a sudden like a, a new update came out for Kuro two. I haven't actually seen like the specifics of it. Like I know how it's like accessed, like it's done, like you know, with a post game save or new game plus. A lot of it is like uh, centered around, um, like the like the VR sim, the Martin Garten uh stuff and like adding a new floor then they uh also as part of this update they made fee and zin playable as playable characters like oh well, like not like central well, main story stuff but the, no the, they were in like in like the first kuro but not uh in this one until this update uh but go ahead i'm sorry yeah it's just like you can select them as playable characters like it's like vr like this basically vr simulator uh essentially and but like, there's also like new story stuff that I haven't seen. But uh, you know, people have taken screenshots. Like at the very end, not, no spoiler stuff. But like, there's like a black screen that says uh, "Kuro no Kuseki colon final chapter to be continued." So Uh-oh. it pretty yeah, it pretty I... much says uh, it, it either pretty much says like they're gonna add the final chapter via another maybe story update or maybe just a new game altogether. I'm thinking it's a new game altogether. So we'll see how that plays out i guess it's interesting because like no spoilers obviously obviously but i felt that kuro 2 ended pretty abruptly with how like the events like unfolded and i'm just like man i really really hope that's like it feels very like unsatisfying the way that it finished in my opinion and it felt very abrupt so hopefully if it is a new game this kuro no kiseki final chapter like they kind of course correct in my opinion um of like you know making more like Kuro one over what they did with Kuro two, I that's what I'm crossing my fingers for, um because I, I I still really like this cast and this arc. I just think there's just like a lot of weird decisions they made with Kuro to make it appeal more to you know past trails players for better and for worse. But we'll see how that plays out. So that's kind of like one of the big uh things that came out of that update. But as we as you were alluding to and we were talking about like. One of the big main central topics with this uh, interview with uh, A9VG, which is a Chinese outlet, uh, a Twitter user named Hansgei21, uh, you know, who usually goes into the uh, these uh, these Chinese interviews and translates them uh, on their Twitter. Um, they talked a lot about um, you know the the Trails in the Sky remake because Kondo has you know talked about the possibility of remaking the Trails in the Sky games with their new engine that. Uh, was used in Kuro One and Kuro Two, and you know they he's aware that uh, especially in the Asian and Japanese market, there's a lot of on memories and deep connections 
with the with the Sky trilogy, and a lot of people really like that era of Falcom and the Trail series. And you know, it's your very standard answer of like, if there's like a lot of people willing to support and buy it, like voice your support. Well, you know, we'll try to make it a reality because you know it also has to appeal to. Well, they're they're always going to equivocate to some extent because they're not going to say no, we'll never do it, or promise that they will. It's just like this is not the first time he's like like mentioned this. Mm-hmm. He's like mentioned the possibility like in a past interview that like maybe we'll go in that direction next of like maybe remaking these games. I'm like I'm thinking like I don't know. I don't know if I want those games remade. To be honest, <laughs> I kind of like them the way they are, and I get it like why they feel the, would feel the need to remake it because like especially in the West, like the the platforms that they're currently released on is very limited. Like right now, like it's like still the PSP for the first two Sky games and PC, and then for Trails in the Third, it's only on PC. So because mm-hmm. of, of the way that like licenses have played out, you know, between Xseed and these and all that, like just releasing it on like modern platforms uh, is kind of impossible at the moment because Xseed doesn't have like technically. I I don't know if Falcom will let Xseed work on them to release them because Nice. Technically, only has the rights to trails up to to Cold Steel three. They don't have the rights to Cold Steel one and two. Exceed has those, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 still such a mess. So I could see like the desire to like remake them and get them more in a uniform fashion and like release them in a more uniform fashion. You know, whether it be like like if they get a Western release, which I imagine it would if they did do that. Yeah, and how norm- that would like- normally. Uh- Sorry, go ahead. Finish with that. Yeah, go. Yeah, go for it. Go for it. I was. I was going to say that part of me is like, I. There's always a lot of fervor for remasters and remakes, but I'm kind of normally I would say just let the game be representative of the era it released in. Like it doesn't need to be remade. It, it, like a good game is a good game and will stand the test of times in most instances. This is one of the ones that because the English publishing has been so storied, for lack of a better word, this is one of the ones where doing some sort of remake would give them that sort of fresh slate that there's a lot of benefit to where they could get a game like on switch or a modern console of some sort, depending on if, if this even happens again, this is um, Chrono Kaseki two is releasing at the end of the month in, in China. Uh, so that's kind of where this interview comes from. It's for the Chinese market. And then, like you said, was being translated into English uh, just from this bilingual Twitter user. So not official marketing on an English front, but obviously stuff that we can glean from, uh, regardless and yeah like it's there's a clearly a lot of interest both from the interviewee and the and Kondo himself about the potential for remaking the sky games because they they everything is so interconnected for the series and to not have that groundwork be readily available could be something that pays dividends just for the series as a whole once it's a complete product and then uh the uh this Haske 21 does go on a few more of the other interview answers about like the other areas, the Kiseki universe that haven't been touched on yet. I assume this is referring to like North Ambria and Remphuria and things like that. I do like this one. Uh, again, this is an unofficial translation, but I do like this one question answer. Uh, do you have any other plans to speed up the narrative story in the future as you finish the telling of the story of the trail series? And Kondo replies in this translation, the pace of the entire plot can no longer be sped up. We are taking the overall plot one step at a time. I, I just like the wording of that. It can no longer be sped up, uh, which this, these games have always been a slow burn. So, you know, that's kind of the expected answer. Um, but yeah, lots of cool insight here for those that have been really invested in the series uh, since the beginning for both the possibility of the uh, of the Sky remakes uh, and obviously where they're going to be going once the uh, Kuro trilogy wraps up. 
Yep. And then, then, yeah, he just once again mentioning that the current progress in the overall trail series is like roughly 70% done. So we're almost there. We're, we're getting, we there. got four or five more games. Maybe. <laughs> well, from a, from a Japanese standpoint, from an English standpoint, we got like eight. Yes. But you know, sure. Like, um, I, I just hope they, I, I have to imagine next year's game for Falcom will be that new East project because they already have mm-hmm. like the teaser out and I assume that that next year will be East and then I assume after year after that, well, they'll go back to trails um, unless they, they surprise us and like say, hey, we're actually going to make something new and not just East and trails. Maybe. Tokyo Xanadu. I don't know. I still need to play that. Is it like someone needs to convince you that Tokyo Xanadu is worth 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 playing? No, is it worth playing? It has good music. Okay, that, that is true. Uh, That's good music. <laughs> the one thing I will say about Tokyo Xanadu that really kind of uh, whiplashed me when I played it is that it is a game that is so much just an amalgamation of every other fucking game that Falcom's made. It is a game that it's like it doesn't really have anything to stand on of its own it's literally just every single plot point every single thing that the game does it it directly ribs from another falcom game that came out previously honestly like the the, the falcom thing that i'm most excited for the most is geo french translation of dinosaur resurrection that's kind of the the game i want to play yeah i'm excited for that too i mean hey it's a dungeon rpg like, yeah it's, it's yeah. a first person dungeon crawler just not something that you think of when you hear the title dinosaur resurrection from Falcom. Yeah. I've never heard so, of this game. It, you, it, know, it, it's really cool. you know, Falcom, if you're going to, you know, Falcom, if you're going to remake uh, some of your uh, early t- uh, to late 2000, well, early to late 2000s uh, tier uh, PSP uh, ports, uh, maybe, maybe you can consider the fact that uh, you did a remake for a certain game called Brandish. Uh, mm. Brandish the Dark Revenant was really good. Most more people should play it. Uh, where's Brandish 2 remake, Kondo? I'm no longer asking. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, is it going to sell a billion copies to keep our, the company afloat? I was saying on Twitter, but like, especially like looking back on it, I don't think there's a single like bad game that Falcom published on the PSP. Uh, you might be right. I have to think about it, but you might be right. On a kind of similar front of hoping for remasters or remakes of now classic games uh this is as of october of 2022 the 10-year anniversary in japan of the original release of bravely default and of course the subsequent bravely default series uh so i didn't hear about this until literally just before this podcast started but unsurprisingly uh there was a 10th anniversary celebration event where square enix held a broadcast called asano team development radio room bravely default celebrates 10th anniversary and unsurprisingly at events like this Typically, we might want to see or hear about, you know, potential plans for the future. Well, apparently during this event, nothing was officially announced. But however, we did see that a new version of the opening movie of Bravely Default was shown in like the new Bravely engine. I don't know if it's the same one that was used for like the CGs of Bravely Default 2. And then following up from that, Josh, you seem to imply that not only does this movie itself kind of speak for kind of reverence to the original game, but some suggestion from Asano team that they are considering a Bravely Default remaster? 
Yeah, like uh, they they basically remastered the opening movie of the first Bravely Default game, and like that's a that's a weird thing to show off. But uh, uh, Sal Romano of Gematsu uh, translated uh, Asano's uh, comments of, of it, and I'll just read that from his uh, article, saying, "Over the past ten years, our team has grown larger, and our capacity has increased." Looking at the opening movie of you know the first uh, Bravely Default, he's like, "I feel like announcing a remaster of Bravely Default uh, w- would be the best possible thing." And something fans would uh, would desire, but for now, I'm unfortunately unable to announce anything like that. For now, let's just say. So you know, As- Asado is basically saying we're working on it, but we can't announce it officially, or else Square Enix is gonna, you know, not be happy with that. So but I that think it's an interesting way to word that, where it's like the best thing would be to announce right here the remaster that everyone wants. <laughs> yeah, that would be swell. Uh- Monkey's Paw Curls, we get a Bravely Default remaster. It's in the Bravely Default 2 art style. I'll say that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't hate it. It's just, I just like, I would like it just to be a cleaner, sharper version of what Bravely Default 1 looked like on the. ADS. I'm kind of in the same boat. Like, I, I appreciate Bravely Default 2 for being just trying something different, but uh, I just think I do like the. I, I just, the it's very charming. It's a very charming, yeah. It's a very charming art style that they use for the first Bravely Default. It's like the chibi characters that have like pointy feet. <laughs> it's just like, mm-hmm. and, it, and it, looks, it looks really, really funny in motion. You put it to fa- max fast forward speed. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, it's pretty inevitable, I would say. Uh, I'm not, obviously, it's not, not official yet, but it feels inevitable that they would go in this direction. Um, and that's cool. I mean, the first Bravely Default game is. It's probably fun. Some most popular. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it, it's it's fun, and hopefully, you know, they find ways to kind of iron out like the last stretch of the game and what they did with that to make it a more less repetitive experience. But it's still a very, you know, a very fun game to play through. So it's re-releasing that for a bigger audience, you know, on multiple platforms would be would be fantastic. Another uh, Square Enix property that we got a couple of news bits here is. Not surprisingly, we've talked about this game several times. Star Ocean: The Divine Force. Uh, we probably won't spend a lot of time here because we've had several several occasions to talk about this. But the reason why it's interesting this week is that early on in the marketing cycle, and Josh or Adam, those of you that are more in the the day to day news coverage, and I am, it felt like early on in the marketing cycle for the Divine Force, everything was very very like measured and metered and organized, where we'd get like a character trailer, then we'd get a mission report. There wasn't a lot of delay between the English and Japanese media releases. Uh, and then it just sort of felt like things kind of got away from them because now we've gotten some character trailers for some characters that were introduced in the mission reports. Uh, this is Malkia and the um, the new Kenny officer. I forget her first name. So we didn't have character trailers for those two, but now we have them in Japanese and not in English. And now we finally got the fourth mission report from the uh, Square Enix official English YouTube that was originally in Japanese several weeks ago. So it's like, it's kind of like old news, but new news. So it just kind of feels like the closer we get to Star Wars and the Divine Forces release, the the less ready they it's, it almost seems like. It just seems like it's coming in really hot. And even like the marketing is, it feels like it's been hard to follow. And that's on top of learning about the um, the Tri-Ace financials from a few weeks ago. So uh, got, got a couple new, basically trailers, some in English, some in Japanese for the, the mission report for and the new character trailers, but I don't really know that it actually contains a lot of new new information that's has a lot to dig into here. Yeah, I mean the the the, the one that we got in English, you know, the, obviously it talks about the shows a little bit the crafting system and uh, 
how fucked up that looks like already with like different characters having different specialties. So, but they don't really mm-hmm. go too too in depth with like how everything works in craft is like basically a very very basic outline of how it works. Um, and you know, once people start digging into the crafting system, seeing like what the potential is there, and like maybe how you can blow the the game wide open with it. So that's the hope and dream of all Star Ocean fans. Um, mm, Adam, they, <laughs> they 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 show off the the board game, the Esoa board game, um, a little bit, and introducing that that'll be like a, a fun mini game that people can uh, participate in. I know I'm gonna, I'm probably gonna like go deep into that. I, it looks like a something for me. So who knows if I'll ever finish the new Star Ocean because of that uh, <laughs> mini board game. Um, the the fun the funny thing that that uh, that got a laugh out of me is like there's like these things called like private events I think in the game and like they have like a very just a very like simple conversation of like oh like there's like the space that we have how should we decorate it you know should we decorate it like uh, with flowers should we decorate it like this or leave it as is and then like the narrator of the trailer uh, the chair is like depending on how you uh, answer these uh, uh, events uh, it'll uh, affect the game's ending I'm like wait what. <laughs> It'll affect the game's ending <laughs> by answering how oh. you decorate this this uh, thing, and I know I know like uh, like you what you're gonna get to Adam like it maybe like it like uh, like it'll maybe add like a, a character like a mini character scene to like the ending events. Because, yeah, like, how recent like, Star Ocean games have worked? Actually, not even recent. Star Ocean Two is like this too. Is that like you have like an ending, which is just like the ending. It's only one ending, but then you kind of get like attached to it, like. Which character did you have the highest affinity with? You're gonna get like their little bonus scene, and then sometimes you can get like more than one if you do it right. So I'm assuming just something like that. Where you're, like, a lot of Western bonus scene do a very character. similar thing. Yeah, it's like what happened to this place based on your choice? Like, oh, here's a here's a shot of whoever's apartment, and you decided to plant the sunflower and not the ivy or whatever. <laughs> But it's really funny. It's like, like the, the first thing you think of, like if you don't like know about that about the Star Wars series, the first thing you think it's like, oh my god, there's all these sorts of different endings of like if I choose the wrong option, I won't get the true ending. You kind of it kind of conjures like your imagination of like, how dare you decorate this building with leaves? You ruined the what universe, you know, <laughs> some sort of like universe changing. Ending changing event from like the something. entire town and now they don't exist and now the universe is done for. Good job. Good job, player. So and by the way, the, the character name that I forgot was uh Marielle L. Kenny. So she first showed up in one of the mission reports, along with that armored character that I don't believe we have a name for yet. There was like JJ. Oops, oh yeah, JJ, yeah. that's what it was. Yeah, that like it's like in like some the, the Twiggle game show. Uh gameplay footage but not not introduced like who the hell is this yeah um they started introducing them more formally in the, in the japanese uh mm-hmm. um trailers like we like we learned jj like voiced by kuroda which is the voice of kiryu and that's really fun in the in the japanese uh voice cast for that game so you know that, that's it's one of those it's like well i guess i have to play this game in japanese mm-hmm. now because i have to hear how kiryu voices a jap uh, a cyber samurai android that has like Japanese samurai armor on them. Sure. I will say that when I watched the mission report for in English, the voice acting that you're witnessing there f- just feels better than it does in the character trailers. Because for these character trailers, they're only like 50 seconds long. They just take a bunch of like dialogue out of context, which, you know, all, all trailers do that to some extent. But I just feel like for some, it's like better just composited, better put together on the mission reports. They're more long form and less trying to be like, I guess the, the character trailers are short and trying to be like sound bitey. Which, yeah. for some reason, I guess doesn't work as well. Um, 
know, I'll probably play this in English because I'm a masochist, but Kuroda is one of the few Japanese voices that I can just like call like, no, I recognize that just from ear just because of having played all the Yeah, it's definitely games. one of like the most like, oddly enough, like one of the most like recognizable like voices like internationally. Like it's just like no matter where you're from, like once you hear it and like you played a good amount of like Yakuza games or like seen a lot of Yakuza videos, like you're just like, oh, mm-hmm. that's the voice character Kiryu. Mm-hmm. Let's see, what else did we get this week? Uh, just kind of a, a few uh, random tra- trailers and newsletters. We did get an info dump for Atelier Ryza 3, which is uh, releasing next February. Now, some of this I feel like we knew. Uh, the main uh, crux of this info dump is talking about the new playable characters of this game. I have not played 1 and 2, uh, but I believe that at least one of these is a fan favorite character, which is, um, is it Dose? Bose. What's his name again? Bose. Bose. Yeah, and then uh, along with um, three other characters, who is uh, DN, and then we have Frederica and Kala. I don't know if these are returning characters or not, just because I'm not familiar with the series. But new. Get... Uh, besides, besides Bose, Bose, this is the first time Bose is going to be a playable character in this uh, installment of uh, uh, Ryza, but for the other three, I think they're all brand new. Right, James? Uh, yeah, no. Bose is, uh, is a character from the previous games. I don't think the other two were in the others yeah 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 the, the oh, okay Federico so there's two characters Kala, yeah they're all new characters all right so I, I think a lot of people are are, are um <laughs> waiting for the the atelier rise of one cast to show back up in this one like with impel and i think i forgot the other name um but a lot of people seem to be anticipating them coming back but but for now they just announced like you know all the new playable characters and then, like for Europe, they announced uh, the some of the physical collectors editions, like the premium box and special collection box, and then a whole bunch of new screenshots. Um, and then people who have uh, save data from the previous Atelier Ryza games, they can dress up their the cast of the, the costumes they wore in the past games. And if they have save data from Atelier Sophie two, they can dress up Ryza as Sophie in Ryza three. All right, I want to show you how ignorant I am on this. I feel bad. I was reading the press release and it's like the game follows fan favorite alchemist, Rezalyn Stout. And I'm like, who? Wait, what? Rise is a nickname? <laughs> like, who the, who the hell is that? Who's Rezalyn? Yeah, that's, a, this is one, that's one of the first things they, they say, like in the first game. It's like, uh, my name is R- Rezalyn Stout, but people call me Ryza for short or something like that. All right. I'm like, who so the hell is this? Uh, all right, today I learned. There you go. But yeah, we got a, we got a new character art for. Uh, um, for this and as well as a shit ton of screenshots part of my language but uh even from a distance i just all this character art i think is really charming and really cool and well put together so it's it's fun even just to you know witness those as we get them up on the site and uh, get those shared before the game releases it just looks really clean and uh visually appealing uh we got a new pokemon update and this is kind of a silly one and the way they introduce this it feels like they they are taking a uh we we mentioned that it seems like they're kind of at the general cadence of announcing one new Pokemon a week or so, which they've been kind of holding to. But the way that they do it seems to be kind of in a different context every time. Gym leaders named Iono, basically, who is a streamer influencer type, kind of give like a, a faux streaming kind of preview of guess who guess who my pokemon partner is no it's not this is where we're at in pokemon now you have gym leaders being influencers vtubers youtubers (laughs) i i I, i've seen a few like memes where it's like 20 years ago you had martial artist you had soldier you had (laughs) 
<laughs> and now it's streamer influencer or whatever i mean it's, it's, that's um, already very nice like i could like tekken julia uh is like a, a streamer influencer now in the in the in tekken so you know that's where we are but the more the modern yeah age. you know i don't think is that interesting uh very very kind of typical character archetype yeah, shark but, teeth. yeah. <laughs> uh gara gura is that like the shark teeth uh I don't uh, know. You're the one who knows more about VTubers than I do, so I I, oh, I trust your I judgment. Oh, okay, but uh, the uh, the more important thing here is that we were introduced to Belly Bolt, who is my new best friend. So Belly Bolt <laughs> is a an electric type Pokemon that is basically just a giant squishy green blob that has like almost like the. This is going to be a very strange comparison, but you know the basilisks in Dark Souls that have like those giant like venom sacks yes. on their face that is not their eyes well mm -hmm. belly bolt reminds me of that because it has like two fake uh like toad eyes sticking out from its head but then it has just like a derpy ditto face in the front that's always smiling that is his actual face Holy but shit. yeah belly bolt is very very cute very uh very derpy looking and i i enjoy a good derp so this one's my new best friend um i already i did actually uh pre-order scarlet and violet the dual pack It'll be my first Pokemon game Dang. in like 20 years or when did Platinum come out? Long time ago. Well, not including not including Arceus, I guess. But uh Belly Bolt, if at all possible, I'm gonna I'm gonna get him on my final team. He'll be on my Victory Road, uh Victory Road commemora commemoration. Water, you will have Belly Bolt. Yeah, he's gonna be my make, sweeper. I don't know. I don't even you know go. what he's built or what his what his base stats. Make so. your dreams a reality. Mm. You're it's gonna, just kind of cool go bolt. You're gonna wash up belly bolt. You're gonna feed a sandwich. Uh, yeah, in the in the gameplay footage, like he shows him taking a bath and all that other stuff. Uh, I have no idea, like what his abilities or base stats or anything like actually meaningful is, but just that he's cute and I want to use him, which is the true true essence of Pokemon. It says belly bolt's ability electromorphosis is a new ability appearing for the first time in these titles. Belly Bolt becomes charged when hit by an attack, boosting the power of the next electric type move it uses. There it is. I, I don't even know like the uh, Smogon terms for like what the different roles Pokemon play in a party, but hopefully that fits one of them well. Tanky something, kind of like a, a Wobbuffet counter Pokemon. I don't know. He's more of a gimmick. I don't know shit about Pokemon. If you know a lot about Pokemon and I'm frustrating <laughs> you, I'm so, I'm sorry. But but Belly Bolt's my new friend. There you go. I'm happy for you. You find your spiritual animal Pokemon. Mm -hmm. uh, we got a, a small newsletter update for Theta Rhythm Final Bar Line. Obviously, this was announced not too long ago uh, for Nintendo Switch and PS4 next year, coming out in February. We talked a bit about the uh, like the, just the song list and what the whole song list contains of and what you can access if you pre-order versus not pre-order. At the time, forget the exact context, but... James had basically said based on what was it, James? I'm sorry that I'm stumbling on this, but uh, people found a tweet from a developer on the project that uh, pointed out that there was a uh, digital deluxe upgrade option and it would be available for physical uh, copies. So we technically knew this and it was like from what you could tell, we could tell it was somebody that legitimately was the developer. It was just in Japanese and it wasn't an official statement. So even though it was probably true, this is now the first time that we had actual confirmation. It was all but confirmed, basically. And then what that is, is that there are no, correct me if I'm wrong, there are no soundtracks or songs that are locked behind 
a like a deluxe edition pre-order or anything like that. You I can mean, get the base it, game. It, 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 yeah, you can get the base game and then uh, upgrade it to like say like you got the physical, the phys- a physical copy of the actual the final bar line, and you want the songs that are only available in the deluxe edition, like digital deluxe edition. They can buy an upgrade to mm-hmm. get those additional songs. They're like they're not barred from it or in any way, shape, or form. And like the the Spare Enix Twitter account finally confirmed that um, earlier this week. That's what this was like after like the the news drop of like the detailing the series quests and this world multi-battles and stuff like that so just a shortly after it but yeah it's just like nice to have official confirmation even though it's like mentioned offhand by a developer just having it be acknowledged by the official you know outlet the official you know the the, the official twitter it's like okay like people can rest easy and they can actually have like you know feel good about buying this game physically and not being barred off from like any digital deluxe editions being exclusive from them or anything like mm-hmm. that so yeah and i mean like, the, uh... the uh, the news the news this week just is basically just detailing like hey like you know like there's these series series quests um in the game like they can choose like a final fantasy title and then they can unlock more songs like and characters um by playing through that uh specific like title in the game so like it's because like it's just a series of like uh songs from the game and like being able to get stuff from that so basically giving you like a a progression method to unlock more content in the game which is nice like, you know, it's not like overwhelming the character, uh, the player from the get go. It's like you can like play through like them and gradually unlock stuff for the game, which I like. I, I like fe- feeling good, like being able to unlock characters uh, that I like from the like the Final Fantasy games that I like. So it's uh, it's for uh, people like me who like uh, unlocking stuff in their games gradually. Um, there's the Endless World, which is like a survival mode uh, in the game, which is you know the, the it'll feed you songs endlessly until you feel three quests and then it's over and then it gets more difficult the more songs you do. The multi-battle stuff is uh, fun. Uh, I imagine it'll be a lot of uh, fun with friends. You can play up to four players, which they mentioned uh, when they announced the game. But then like uh, they have like these um, these bursts in the game where as you play through the song, you gradually uh, fill this burst uh, meter and then you can like send shit uh, to your uh, friends and other uh, players in that game session. So like one of the uh, screenshots they showed off was like you can uh, send send off a dual uh, two fat chocobo to a player to like obstruct their vision on incoming notes, <laughs> just like fun stuff like that. Or like you can have like um, like really nasty stuff where like you'll you'll freeze points from uh, players, and the only way they can accrue points when they have this is like they have to get criticals and rainbow criticals, which is basically like like perfect note uh, perfect notes. Um, and uh so forth so it's just like fun stuff like that um and, and then they're saying like you know uh the, the incentive to play multiplayer is like you get like these collect the cards um after after a session and then like obviously whoever wins that session gets first dip on their cards and so it's like basically um like a card collection that you can um build up through multiplayer and uh stuff like that just and then more just uh showing off screenshots of the game and songs but you know it's not it's not a big update but it's like it's a meaningful full one for people who are excited for the game like James and I. Yeah, you know, just seeing like what can you do in this game? There's so much to like songs, what like how can you engage? Uh what are the different ways you can play this game? And you know. More to it like, than the average rhythm uh, game arcade port. Yeah, yeah. So that that's a lot of fun. I I, I like that uh, aspect of the 3DS game of where like you can like level up your characters and like even like equip them with like weapons and stuff. 
so like giving them like an, an RPG slant. Um, because because the the thing that I like I, I like all about these rhythm games is like there's like a progression method. It's not just like a mindless like hey, like uh play play these uh in set order and then you unlock the next song and then you play that song and then you unlock the next song. Like it's like it's like a typical rhythm game, um progression which like I appreciate on some level, but I like having like it getting like an RPG progression method in these kind of sorts of games. Yeah, thank you so much for bailing me out on that because. Like the only experience that I have with a rhythm game is I did play a tiny bit of Melody of Memory. And then after like playing a couple of songs, I ended up just like Googling the final cutscene of that game and not actually playing it. <laughs> so I, I do own that on Epic Store of all things. So I might just oh, yeah, poke that's at right. it. Uh, I also have the other Kingdom Hearts games on Epic. Maybe so when well, yeah, we finally can, can, learn more about if you like if you like an rpg like progression method like uh, like you, you like you just don't want the standard like rhythm game like how it unlocks like melody of memory like like honestly like maybe theatrism final bar line like might be uh, a cool way to engage with that because of these series quests like you can go through like titles and like the most iconic music from them and then you unlock characters from that you know specific title so like say like ff6 you know you can go right well, away actually into, like, no, six and getting like now that i think about it Terra. You know what? You know what my most recent uh, experience with the rhythm game was the what? dancing mini game in Lost Judgment. There you go. <laughs> yeah. That, compared to compared to what they had in Yakuza Five, that was actually pretty uh pretty robust. I have no idea how it compares to a quote unquote real one, but the one in Yakuza Five was pretty bare bones. One in Yak in Lost Judgment was uh I don't know. I liked it. I enjoyed it. It was it was very robust because like you got to like 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 set like your dance routine and like you unlock the new moves and like you got to see mm -hmm. like unique animations of seeing like Yagami just like busting out like you know different outfits like different like breakdancing moves and all that sort of mm -hmm. stuff you're just like all right sure I guess he doesn't sing but he does have you know he can dance I like I like how they uh they're like how you can dance like well I know kung fu and this is just kind of like that they go oh, okay I buy that <laughs> that's right that's a justification like yes of course obviously if you're good at kung fu you're a good dancer uh, only three uh, three minor bits of news here to uh, to kind of end the podcast on. Uh, one of these is more inherently interesting than the other. Uh, we did get a new trailer for an upcoming Switch roguelike called Sea Horizon. This is coming out for Switch uh, soon-ish. Yeah, yeah, October 20th. It, it comes out for us on Switch first on October 20th and then coming to PlayStation Xbox sometime next year. Yeah, and it's uh, it's already on PC as uh, early access. I don't know if, if they've announced details on when it's going to come out of early access, if that's going to coincide with the Switch launch or not. Uh, I don't have a lot of interest in the roguelikes, but it has obviously had an audience, at least on PC. We got a new trailer that we put up on the site that focuses on some of the player characters, including uh, Dylan and then Lyra and the last one Lida. is Shylin. Or Laya. I don't know how oh, to Laya. pronounce it. Oh, Laya. Oh, I just, I just, my brain just corrected that to say something else. No, it is L-Y-Y-A, Laya. I just, like, my brain is like, it has to say Lyra. Nope, Laya. <laughs> yep. So, so yeah, that's coming out before the end of the month on Switch and then uh, later next year, or sorry, next year later on other consoles. Uh, we got a release date for the PC release of Relayer under the Relayer Advanced label. Relayer released on uh, Sony consoles earlier this year in March that Josh covered for us. Uh, and then obviously alongside the PC release, the existing console version will get an update that co coincides along with that. It will release on October 27th. It will also come out on GOG later in November. 
the three major changes coming to Relayer Advanced is that uh, there'll be an option to change the map layout. What does this mean, Josh? It says from oh, the usual sorry. square grids to luminous lines. Yeah, you see, you see it out there. Like uh, uh, Kite uh, posted this, and like you see it in the screenshot that Relayer really advanced new features. And the first one, that's how it usually looks. Uh, and then the, the ah. second and third screenshots, like this is how it's gonna look like now. Uh, you can, obviously you can do you can toggle it, but I guess mm. it's 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 better like for sure because and, like in the you saw with the typical grid uh, lines, it can, it can get pretty messy with like if you're gonna move it to like enemy territory where like you actually trigger that ai or you don't and then like seeing like what uh the ranges are for like for the weapon so with the new one it's like more quote-unquote fluid i guess it's like i guess it's better that it has better readability um than yeah the, the, the old uh, one is more like uh a standard grid-based like rpg maker game where the the new I, I I always feel silly when I invoke comparisons like this, but the new one looks like you're when you do view like enemy movement on Fire Emblem game, where it gives you like the border outline of you can move here, the enemy can move here. These are the areas where you're moving. It's more pronounced, be, yeah. It, yeah, it's more pronounced and easier to read. So that that's a welcome mm -hmm. one. The second uh, change coming to this is like it, they say the main story will have shorter conversations for more concise storytelling. The full conversation will still be available through via the recollections menu. I'm like, to me, that seems worse. I kind of like having like the the conversations between the characters. In the when when I played it uh, earlier this year, I, I liked like you know that they just had like conversations about like you know just more casual stuff. It's not like I'm not always pushing the uh like the the storytelling forward. It's just like you kind of get a, a better sense of like their characterization and like like the stuff that they like and how they, you know, just. It's kind of a weird change. I don't know if I yeah, like it. Yeah, that's not something we normally see, where it's just like, we decided to take an additional editing pass specifically on making the conversation shorter, but we'll put the old conversations in a menu for you. It's a bit unorthodox. Yeah, I don't know if I like that. I'd have to like see it in action scene, like where they actually decided to like make this change. I I don't know. The, to, to me, that kind of, that, that may hurt the game potentially, to be honest. Like if they if they make it so like it's like a toggleable option to like just have like it be how it was originally, I think I'd be fine. But for them to say that like oh the full conversation will still be available in the recollections menu, that means you have to like go back into like an archive of like seeing yeah. these scenes again. It's like that's kind of weird and maybe not great. I don't know. I, I don't know how I feel about that. The other change they said it's like hey, there's new high difficulty end game content, uh, which is like you know five stages and. Features like Phantom, just like doppelgangers of like the cast, which is like that's so far off. And like, uh, the, like when I when I originally reviewed this game, I said like how they implemented the post game is already weird and like kind of a detriment to the game. Where like uh, the game ends in a pretty emotional note that I really like. It's kind of like one of the, the more stronger endings I've seen into a video game this year. And like, and the post game is like you go into it. It's like a simulator of like. What if like the ending didn't happen and like things just happened like in the best way possible? Oh, I, this is ringing a bell. Yeah, I remember you talking about this. Yeah, and, and like that, and like it feels super weird and out of place, and kind of it's like it's basically just like kind of like what if like the end, like the cool ending, like cool emotional ending didn't happen, and like you just continue to your voyage. You know, to... another game had this issue. What Tokyo Xanadu. Oh, really? <laughs> yep. Oh my and god. Tokyo, I won't get into specifics, but there's the ending. And then there's like 
the post game, which sort of undoes a little bit of the ending. And then there was like the uh, the ex, the the X version new stuff, the which E-X undid version, even yeah. more of it. And it just kind of makes it happier and happier. And just kind of like, eh. I don't. Yeah, it I feels like that. having your cake and eating it too. Or it's like yeah. you have a poignant, sort of bittersweet ending. And then it's like, nope, actually everything is perfect. So like, yeah, it's like uh, it's oddly enough, like my recommendation to people like playing this for the first time is like, like once you finish the story, like give it a few like. I don't know days or weeks, and like if you want to play more, definitely go play more of the post game. But it's like it's not nothing really meaningful because it's like kind of like it's kind of like hey, what if we just did more of the stuff that we did? And like the the post game stages aren't like really even that interesting anyway, in my opinion. Like I played a little bit of it, I didn't play all of it, but it was just like it was kind of like whatever. But I think I think the more meaningful meaningful stuff for me is like all the systems that they added like after i completed that game like they added more systems so like they added a system in which you can upgrade the mechs and like that's a big one that's a big one because there was no way to really like upgrade the mechs like and tweak their tweak their numbers and upgrade their you know whatever so like they added like new like upgrade systems to that well after i was like done with the game like maybe i should go play it again maybe not i don't know but i'm just so weirdly still baffled by like them like trimming the conversations in the main story because like those those are like that's part of like the main story that i liked because of like them just kind of like just hanging around and like you know having fun with each other and enjoying each other's company um and it's like that's such a weird change. Like I don't know if I'd like that. I have to, I have to see it. I have to see like before and after. And like I, I'm most assuredly that I'm gonna get pissed off at the after. <laughs> most assuredly. So I'd have to go see it how how they do it. Yeah. I I just I I wish they they just they just did did a toggle like they did with like the, oh, the, oh that that, that actually that reminds me that was well like no it's I, not some, a toggle. Well that that the, puts the, something else into a context where I mentioned early on. That this update's coming to PS4 and 5. So it's like that's a that's strange in that context where they're like, if you update this patch, we're gonna shorten the dialogues. It's like I don't want yeah. to update or whatever. No, that's not it's not a toggle. According to them, it's like it's like it's like if you want to see the full conversations, you just have to see it through the re- recollections menu, which is like an archive, you know, of like the cutscenes. So it's just like what? What? I'm just trying, I'm trying to think of this practically. Like, how would this actually work when you're playing the game? You watch a scene, it takes a few minutes, and you're like, all right, time to rewatch it. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> that's not great. I'm like, you have to watch each scene twice, and then you gotta have to cut. pick out like what was cut out. I don't know. <laughs> strange, strange stuff. But yeah, that's kind of the, the, the PC release is coming um, on October 27th, and then they'll also sell it on GOG on November 10th. So the Steam release is coming October 27th. And then on GOG, it'll come later on November 10th. Was, okay, sure, why not? But you know, I'm 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 happy that like you know this will be getting uh, coming to like a bigger audience. Oh, I think and, it was, like, and that update patch pretty solid will be, uh, The update patch for the console versions will be November 18th. So just kind of rolling okay. it across. Yeah, yeah, yeah a bit strange, strange, weird. But um, you know, hopefully people like it. Hopefully it didn't. Man, I don't know. Hopefully they didn't cut out like, the stuff that I like of the main story of like too much. I guess that's <laughs> so weird because like people are gonna like a lot of people are like not gonna like see like maybe some of like the 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 cooler, funnier lines and like how the cast interacts with each other. Like it just I don't know. I don't know how I feel about this. Like it's it's weird to think that like people will go like their first playthroughs of this game to like potentially like miss out a lot of like the more amusing parts of like the main story. I don't know. That's so weird. Well, this last bit of news is almost equally weird. 
Uh, and this is something that I, I feel like someone might have called, but I still don't think we were this expecting is not it. Weird. And this, is, this, is, this is definitely like, okay. No, yeah. Not weird. <laughs> this is okay, definitely part so, of the course. <laughs> all right. So uh, we're going into a period of the year where we have a lot of Final Fantasy VII projects coming through. We learned, obviously, about Reunion. We've got the Crisis Core Remaster coming out. But one thing that had already released late last year, in case you remember, is the Mobile Battle Royale Final Fantasy VII The First Soldier. None of us here, I don't think, really touched it, except Scott, I believe, in a very small way. Uh, but we have learned, it has been announced, that Final Fantasy VII, the first soldier, will shut down on January 11th, 2023. So it, it, first, it first launched in November of last year. So this is, you know, 14 months or so. Just under 14 months of service. Um, yeah, I mean... I... <laughs> I still find it very funny that I just was like jump scared with a random package from Square Enix's mobile division, like seeing, like basically saying, "Hey, here, here's this, uh, here's this uh, new Final Fantasy VII spinoff on mobile. Please cover it. Please cover it. We know it's not an RPG. Please cover it." <laughs> I mean, they were, they, 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 yeah, they were chasing the PUBG mobile money with, with this game, and clearly it did not pan out. And like, it's it's weird because like the last time I seen this game in motion is like I like when I was looking through YouTube one day, like they were randomly live streaming a tournament for this game, and I'm like, what the fuck does that look like? And I was like, it was like whatever, I guess. And then they were like having like an interview with like an esports team, like like a, a Final Fantasy VII the first soldier esports team. Think about that. And they're like, what's your strategy for like the next uh like you know match coming up? It's like, oh yeah, we'll be, you know, we'll be doing what we do best, you know, and, and all that, whatever beef they have with the other team. It is like, okay, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm imagining putting out all the usual like sporting platitudes, like, yeah, we're gonna take it one match at a time, we're gonna believe yeah. ourselves and we, we trust the process and, or or whatever. Uh... And it's just like I this is like a big surprise, I guess. I, I guess it didn't find its like intended market. I, I don't know how big it was like in other territories. Clearly, like you know, PUBG Mobile, like it's very popular, like in like in like Asian territories, uh, from what I understand. And maybe they just didn't latch on. It's like, no, fuck you, we're gonna keep on playing PUBG Mobile. This shit's dope. Um, all I remember this for this be... game, uh, like uh, the most amusing collaboration that this game had, uh, for FF7 the first soldiers, that there's this uh Japanese uh, rock band called Man with a Mission, and like one of their shticks is like they put on like uh like animal masks uh, over them, like so like any music video, any album cover that they release, like they have like 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 furry like masks over their heads as they like fucking rock out, um, and that that's that they put out really really great songs, you know, for some of the most like iconic music, like for some of the more like popular anime like um, Golden Kamui. And um and Vinland Saga, and stuff like that. So I mean, it's they're very very popular. But it's like it was really funny that they collabed with FF Seven, the First Soldier. It's like one of those collabs that, like almost made me want to like install it. I'm like, this is so fucking weird. I I gotta maybe maybe I'll try it. I didn't, but it really amused me. And I remember going to um Nova Crystallis. One of the things that Tony Garso does over there is like this week 
in in games for like Square Enix properties. A lot of it is focused on like updates to uh, Final Fantasy 14 and things like that. Obviously, the updates to Final Fantasy 11 and a couple of other properties. But there was also a section like this week and Final Fantasy 7, the first soldier. I'm like, all right. So they were like regularly updating this. I don't know like how meaningful it was, but it was my but first reminder. They have reminder a Halloween like, event coming up and for that game. Like they're still going to support it till like it's shut down. Like I know they're going to have like a Halloween event for FF7, the first soldier. And mm-hmm. get all get all your Halloween cosmetics for like your your cool soldier dude. But uh, if it came out on PC, I could see myself like trying it. But it never did. It say as a mobile uh, mobile project, and that's where it didn't didn't latch on. That's where it'll stay. That's where it'll die. Uh, apparently, I mean, like you know, best of luck to like. Hopefully, like you know, no one was let go or internally. Hopefully, they're just getting shuffled to other projects. You know. Best of luck to the developers on this, you know, because I'm it just took a lot of manpower to get off the ground, obviously. So, hopefully, if the developers are just getting shuffled around to maybe bigger, better projects that they, you know, that they'll latch on to. And, you know, yeah. All right. We do have one last thing that we want to talk about here. Uh, not a news front, uh, a news story in the normal sense, but something that is uh, one thing that we wanted to at least mention here at the closing of this podcast. And I'll hand it over to uh, James for this. So people listening to this podcast have probably already heard about what happened earlier this week. I just wanted to mention it and give my condolences to his family and friends. Because even though like Scott and I, Scott from the Geofront that worked on the Zero Trails from Zero and Trails to Zero fan trans- translations, even though we had our differences near the end, we were friends at one point. And regardless of anything else, just uh, dying so young is heartbreaking and um i, I just say something it's like yeah no it's understandable it's understandable yeah i mean i mean we should just like you know be upfront about it. like you no know, there's a geo5 member scott uh tijerina i i believe is the uh, sorry if i'm pro- mispronouncing the last name but they you know they sadly passed away you know uh earlier this week and you know the, the, like scott scott will be remembered in the rpg community obviously for his um his contribution to the geo front translation project you know, he's his. Uh, he had a YouTube channel called Kill Scott Kill. I know a lot of people. You know, visited his YouTube videos. Had a lot, a lot of passion for the Trails yeah. series. He was also uh, an uh, editor, I believe, on the Blue Archive mobile game as well. Yeah. The translation for that. So I you saw know, some conversation around his uh, around um, his death with people saying that he was like the person that really pushed for like a re-edit of a, an event when it came back or something which is like something like completely unprecedented. Like he, he was, if nothing else, he was a dude that like wore his passion on the sleeve and would intensely fight for whatever he thought was right. And it's just an absolute fucking shame that he didn't get to stay around long enough to see what else he, he could, uh, he could, ha- he could accomplish. I mean, yeah, he's the, definitely one of, one of the reasons that like, be, like people like get to experience like the, the crossbell series in the West, you know, that's a, it's, it's more than we could ever ask for, you know, more. So it's like, it's such a, it's a, it's a really, really big shame to like, you know, let go. And yeah, we all, we all hope today. we can have an impact like that. Uh, you know, when we, when we pass on, so rest in peace, Scott, and thanks for all your contributions in this space. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. Um, so yeah, best of luck to like, you know, just friends, colleagues, family, relatives. You know, it's not not easy. It's not easy. It's way too young. Way too young. Really, really, really sad news to see uh, in the week.
And closing out on that small moment of silence, uh, that ends our coverage for the Tetracast this week. It was really cool to kind of see us talk about the Kaseki series in a lot of different contexts with Nayuta, with Cold Steel, and with Kuro 2 updates and potentially remakes on that front. Uh, all the Square Enix stuff that we're moving into. Uh, obviously, Xenoblade is now back on our mind with the DLC coming, starting to roll out. Yeah, and if you've made it to the end of the podcast, let us know how we're doing. Uh, you can listen to us on, whether you're listening to us on Spotify, Google, or on the YouTube channel, let us know uh, what you think and give us some feedback and we'll act on that. You can also go into rpgsite.net to look at any of the news stories that we've talked about, including James's Wild Hearts preview feature. You can also find RPG Site on the social media channels. Just search for RPG Site on Twitter, Facebook, and the like, and you should be able to find us. And also uh, go ahead and join our Discord if you're interested. Uh, Discord.gg slash RPG Site. We'll also have a link at the in the comments of our YouTube video. So go ahead and join if that's of interest to you. And uh, we'll be back next week with some of the things that are, uh, as we roll into the end of October, we've got a, a Persona PC release coming out in the next five days. Uh, I like we've how got, you keep calling um, it Persona PC release when it's also coming to, like, Switch. Switch. Uh, I guess that's my, that's, yeah, that's my bias. Your bias coming through. <laughs> Persona uh, PC. I'm sorry. All right, Persona <laughs> 5 is coming out. I love it, Multi-platform. <laughs> so, yeah, that's my bias. Thanks for calling me out. That's some, that's some cold medicine, Adam. But yeah, we've got that coming out next week. And then obviously not too long uh, after that, uh, all the other releases that we've been kind of hyping up for a bit here. Uh, look forward to the discussion on that. And we've got a couple things in the works that we're eager to eager to share with you guys. Um, until you hear from us next time, stay safe and take care. And we'll talk to you then. <laughs>